Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I'm Nate Endries, and I'd like to welcome into the episode this week, Mike and Nick. We got the uh, the whole family in on this one. How's it going, boys? It's going. You guys were just on recently, so welcome you back with a quick turnaround. But we got a pretty long episode in store for everyone today. Uh, so long that we're actually not going to be doing news and notes this week. So let's just jump right into it and uh, look at our prior week recap, talking about week 15, the extended matchup period after the All-Star break. Mike, I'll ask you first, what did you have for your biggest upset? Yeah, uh, you know, there wasn't a ton of upsets that I saw personally, um, but I got to pick somebody and I'm going to pick Nick being myself. Um, I don't want to call it a big upset because Nick's team is a great team in itself, but I do know that Jake and Brendan both picked my team to win. Um, so, you know, me not beating Nick and also losing to the medians. So yeah, I got to pick somebody. So I'm going to pick Nick beating me. Okay. Well, I'll actually stick with that theme. It wasn't Nick beating you, but Mike, there's somebody that just has your number all the time, even if he's not playing you. I went with Eddie gone forever versus the league median because this was about the only upset that I could pick out from all the, all the matchups as Eddie unexpectedly carved out one of those league median wins, leaving me and you, Mike, to fight over the sixth and final league median win. And fortunately for me, unfortunately for you, I was able to grab that last spot with Eddie ultimately leaving Mike out to dry and keeping him at a 500 record overall after an 0-2 week versus Nick. So what is this, the second time Eddie has kind of stolen away a league median spot from you on top yeah, of it's... head-to-head twice this season, on top of knocking you out of fantasy football playoffs, on top of beating you in fantasy basketball playoffs? I think, Mike, Eddie just has your number. He must be your <laughs> kryptonite. He definitely does. Um, Eddie, uh, personally, I hope you don't try and – go for the playoffs this year because if I got to play you I am I'm more scared of playing you in the playoffs than I am with Nate Nick Jake or Courtney so Eddie please try to buy keepers wait you're more scared of Eddie I just whooped your ass <laughs> I'm kidding was I'm aware I, no I'm aware of that but I, it, like Nate said it's something that Eddie has over me and I I just can't be confident that I can beat him in any of it so all right, well, let's see what Nick had for biggest upset. That's a good point. It felt good winning this week. Not that it was over you, Mike, necessarily. It felt really good winning because both uh, it was on the podcast, Jake and Brendan, yeah. up against my team last week, so that was nice. Just yeah. to add that in. But, uh, no, actually, I had a different biggest upset of the week. I had Jerowin's team, Team Positivity, over Eddie gone forever. Not that going into the matchup, I thought Eddie's team was the favorite. I thought the opposite, actually. But looking back on the matchup, uh, I believe throughout most of the entire matchup, it was Eddie's squad who was ahead and kind of in a commanding lead. And at one point late in the matchup, I thought that Eddie had it all but locked up. But Jerwin's team had a gigantic surge on Sunday, you know, getting those positive vibes rolling, putting up a whopping 96.9 points just on Sunday alone. Uh, and Eddie's team struggled that day, putting up just a little bit over 13 points. And it was it came from Jerwin's offense. Most of everybody did their part. And Aaron, Aaron Nola, was just one out away from a complete game, and he put up 34 points himself. 
So he, he could have had, he was one out away from having over a hundred points on the day. And I believe it was that day, mark it down, Sunday, July 25th, was the day that truly gave Jerwin his affirmation to give this, the final seal of approval for him on his team to become a father, <laughs> as he announced in the group chat. I don't, if it wasn't for that day, I'm, I think uh, Jerwin could still be thinking about that decision, whether to be a buyer or seller, but that, that right there, I think was the final mark to give his team the push to be confident heading into this final uh, trade deadline week as a buyer. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was actually golfing with Eddie earlier today. We're recording this on Monday, the 26th. And he was bummed out because just like Nick said, he had the lead for most of the matchup. And then Jerwin cruised right past him on Sunday, the last day of the matchup. So he was bummed out about that. Biggest takeaway. Uh, I will go first here and kind of elaborate on something that Jake has alluded to throughout the season, which is that long matchup periods will yield the better team a win. Uh, there were no runaway performances this past scoring period, but the lower teams in the standings keeping things close ultimately did not matter as we had zero head-to-head -head upsets last week per the standings. And this may be a preview of the playoffs, which it might not be popular among the wildcard teams, but it should give the top teams in the league a sigh of relief. Uh, and as an aside, I, I do get where Jake is coming from with wanting one-week matchups in the playoffs to get a little bit more of that upset factor in there but I'm still all for extended playoff matchups. I already play a game that rewards luck over the better team half the time. It's called fantasy football. So Nick, did you have a biggest takeaway coming away from the extended week 15 matchup period? Yeah, I already alluded to it. And it was said uh, to everybody. And that was by Jerrell. And my biggest takeaway is that team positivity is a buyer. Um, he's going to keep those positive vibes uh, rolling right into trade deadline week as a buyer and try to keep that positive train chugging along into the playoffs. So that was my biggest takeaway because I even contacted Jerwin earlier in the week just with a simple question of if he was looking to compete still. And this was before he had that comeback win over Eddie and I did not get a response. So I think uh, he was a little upset that I was even questioning him being, um, you know, competing for a playoff spot and being a buyer at this trade deadline. And now he announced it to the whole league that, that that's a big takeaway for everybody to know that he is buying. Mike, what do you got for biggest takeaway? Uh, yeah, mine's going to be a little bit more positional-based. Uh, relief pitching can seriously make or break your team, 1,000%. Um, you know, I, I don't think if Canley Jansen even blows those saves that I still beat Nick, but I easily beat the median. I, I know Brad Hand struggled. I think he blew a save. Louis, uh, Lou Trevorino, he blew a save. Losing those kind of points, it can really make or break your week. So, um, yeah, definitely having good relief pitching. Even then, it's it's hit or miss, honestly. So, Yeah, Kenley Jansen crushed you last week, and Brad Hand did his best uh, to try to sink me on Sunday. Luckily, I did not have Trevino in my lineup. But, yeah, we often look over relief pitching as not being important or – not being a building block of the, of the team that you would like to build around. It's kind of more of like an ancillary portion of your team that, yeah, it's a luxury to have good relief pitching, but it's just that it's a luxury. It's not a necessity, but it can come back to bite you if you do not have uh, co consistent producers there, just as we found this past week with a guy that we actually thought was consistent and Kenley Jansen on your team, Mike, but 
I know. Uh, him losing his points shocked me, 100%. Yeah, and Blake Trinan has been really good. I saw Courtney just picked him up maybe within the last two hours. He's been a great setup man for the Dodgers. So who knows if, if Jansen keeps on struggling. I'm not going to say that he's going to lose the job just yet, but if he has another week like he had this past week and Trinan is, is continuing to roll, I don't see how Dave Roberts couldn't make a job change there. Or they trade for Richard. Well, yes. Yeah. Come on, baby. <laughs> well, you know, Jansen's going to have a well-deserved bench spot on my team this week, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't blame you for sitting him down for at least a week, but that brings us to our wild card race update. With the first wild card spot in seventh place, we have Jerwin, Team Positivity, with a record of 12 and 18. With the same record right behind him, the second wild card spot in eighth place, we have Brendan, the Soto List Shuffle, with the, like I said, 12 and 18 record. Right behind them is Sam, weak pullout hitter. He has an 11 and 19 record. And then right behind Sam is Eddie, gone forever with a record of 10 and 20. So things are still pretty tight. Uh, one good week for Eddie. He could jump right up into one of those wild card spots if Jerwin or Brendan has a bad week. It is still a very close race in this home stretch of the season. I'm going to stop you right there, Nate. I'm going to go off on one rabbit hole or one rabbit trail here of uh, thinking about the Soto list shuffle. That has to be hurting Brendan that he no longer has Juan Soto. And I take note of this because I just faced uh, Mike this past week and every day I kept looking at the numbers and every day I was like, damn, Soto is just crushing it. And I just kept thinking he is the one reason Mike is just like right there cruising along, um, staying right with me in this matchup because he, he put up close to what, 40, 50 points for you this past week, Mike. I, it might, I, I know he kind of cooled down towards the end, but I saw the projections at one point and I mean, he was projected 70 something points him by himself. So, I mean, that's, I can't complain. I mean, that's why I wanted him. So I'll stop there. I just, I had to just take note of that because I was really impressed and also pretty upset just watching him crush it every day. Anyways, sorry, Nate. That's all right. That was a trade where uh, Brendan gave up Soto to Mike. That's a perfect segue into our trade discussion. Let's talk about the trades that have happened since the last episode was put out. We have four total. And Mike, I think you're involved in half of them. So let's get right into it. The first one of the week was where you gave up, Mike, Tariq Skubal and Emmanuel Class A, and you got in return from Jordan, Yuli Gurriel, and Mark Melanson. Nick, I'll toss it to you. What was your initial reaction to this deal? Um, my opinion may be different than what you may share. I actually think it's pretty even because I, I may be biased because I had Skubal on my team, and I do like Skubal. I, I think he's a solid – not a great keeper, but I think he's a solid, promising keeper to have. So – um, Jordan getting him. I, I, I like that for his side, but I also like Mike's side. I, I, I know Yoli Gurriel is not a star, but I think he's a solid guy to slot in when you need him. And Melanson, I mean, we were just talking about relief pitching that it's so up and down sometimes, and he's been pretty steady. He's not an overpowering relief pitcher. He's not someone that you're, you walk away watching him thinking like, man, that was so impressive. That's a, you know, a high class pitcher, but he, he just gets the job done week after week. Uh, after week I have him in another league and he's just kind of nice to have so I like both sides of this trade yeah I, I tend to mostly agree um Tariq Skubal isn't you know one of the best keepers in the league but if you are Jordan 
I'm not sure you get excited about a 37-year-old Yuli Uriel and a 35, or maybe he might even be 36 now, 36-year-old Mark Melanson. So I don't mind him giving up these two older players that can help Mike's team or any team that would be contending win now and getting a keeper with, let, let me put it this way, there's no denying the upside that Scooble has, whether he's actually performed it at a consistent level this year. I don't think that he necessarily has, but obviously – Jake, myself, Nick, Mike, all of us believe in him to an extent. Uh, you know, he has the upside to – if he can unlock it on a consistent basis, he could become a great keeper. So, I guess, in summary, my thoughts are that this was a fine deal for both sides. I think it was a fair trade. Mike, let's get your thoughts on your own trade here. Yeah, you guys uh, pretty nailed it uh, to the park. Um, I do like Scooble a lot, and I did consider him as a potential keeper of mine. Uh, but I am pretty, I like to say, content with the guys that I do have that I do want to keep next year. So kind of going off of that, I said to myself, you know, am I going to comfortably start Tariq Scooble this year? No, most likely not. Am I going to start Mark Melanson? Yep. Am I going to start Yuli Guriel? Yeah, if he's hot, which he's been pretty damn consistent all year. So it gave me good depth when it comes to offense. Um, and like you guys, like you said, Nick, I mean, Melanson has been one of the more consistent relief pitching and that's exactly what I need for hundred percent fact seeing Jansen just absolutely shit the bed. And even before I traded, um, for Melanson, Emmanuel class, a had a few blown saves and I'm like, I just don't want to deal with this again because it can seriously make or break your week. So. More or less, and I think it helped me out for sure this year. And Jordan gets to see if Tariq Skubal is going to be that next solid, you know, SB2, SB3 down the road. Yeah, that about sums up everyone's thoughts on that trade. Let's move on to the next one. This is probably the biggest trade of the week. Mike, this one was between you and I. I give up Clayton Kershaw, Tommy Pham, and Lou Trevino, a Slippery Rock alum. And in return, you gave me Bryce Harper and Robbie Ray. We're going to ask Nick what he thinks of this deal first. Well, now I just decided what side's better, and it is the Lou Trevino side coming from the Rock, baby. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. Damn. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm not to buy his jersey. Mike and I have all actually graduated from Slippery Rock. I know yeah. you guys all know that I went there, but Nick and Mike also graduated from Slippery Rock. So. That's right. Go um, ahead, Nick. So, yeah, this trade for me was – Hard to evaluate. I had, I didn't really have strong feelings about it. I think it's pretty darn close to even. Uh, I honestly don't know which side I like more. My first thoughts on the trade was that it makes sense for both teams. You know, Nate, you're upgrading your offense and not necessarily taking a step back with your starting pitching either. Um, despite Ray obviously not being a bigger name compared to Kershaw, but Ray has been crushing it this season, and he's healthy. So I actually think that Nate, you have you have to be feeling good about this move. There's certainty with the guys you have. Um, Harper hasn't always been healthy, but he's healthy now. He's performing. Ray has been performing all season. He's healthy. On the other side, for Mike, Trevino, he's not a big piece, but he is a, he's a pretty quality RP to you know place in your lineup when needed, uh, especially now with, with uh, Jensen's struggles. So that has to, you know, he's a guy you can use and use right away with those struggles we already mentioned with Jensen. And then you have other quality offensive piece and um, Tommy Pham who's part of a great offense with the Padres. Uh, and then there's Kershaw, who 
when healthy, he might be one of your two. He could possibly become your best pitcher. Um, I don't want to knock down Brandon Woodruff, who's just been solid all year, but he could, when healthy, perform to be one of your top two starting pitchers. And that might be just what you need um, to compete far into the playoffs. So it's not sure as sure on your side with what you're getting, Mike. It's more sure idea mm. of what Nate's getting with the players are healthy now. They're performing right now. They help his team out right now. Um, but I think in the long run, it could serve your team really well. So I, I like both sides of the trade. It makes, makes sense to me. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, I, As you guys know, I like to consider myself a better man. And I think with a full over a month of Clayton Kershaw getting healthy um, and just his reputation alone, I mean, don't get me wrong, Robbie Ray's been a stud all year, like you mentioned, Nick. Uh, Nick. And moving him was tough because he was definitely one of my top three pitchers I had. But Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw. And I think you're going to see similar production to how he was before he got hurt, which is very similar to Robbie Ray and itself. Uh, Tommy Pham, no, he's not Bryce Harper, but he's definitely a solid piece. I know I'm playing him this week. Um, and Luchavina, like you said, I mean, it gives me more stability at relief pitching. Um, he's on a great team with the Oakland A's. So I think right now Nate is, like you mentioned, Nick, he's comfortable and he's happy because the guys that he's got, they're healthy, plug and play right now, and they're studs. But in the long uh, scheme of things, I think, yeah, it's going to be a pretty close trade. I, I really can't say who won and who lost. I think we both got exactly what we wanted. Yeah, I will echo that. I think it was a very even trade. And as far as my thought process on the deal, I felt that I was one starting pitcher injury away from being dangerously thin at the position, basically having to start the five guys that I had healthy every time out. And that is not a position that I like to be in. I like to not just have more than five very good starting pitchers, but the reason why I like to have more than five is so that you can actually almost stream from very good pitchers, the best matchups, potential two-star weeks. Um, so it's not just a game of, you know, some people only have two or three good starting pitchers. So they're looking for a, you know, a true to the definition streamer pitcher to play for the week. Well, I like to do that with five or six top 30 starting pitchers. So not only am I going to get presumably a quality start, you know, not the literal definition of a quality start, but a good outing from the pitcher every time. But on top of that, I can actually leverage and, you know, take the best matchups and kind of work those into my lineup. So all that being said, I felt it made sense here when Mike asked about Kershaw after I initially asked about Robbie Ray. I was open to making the swap because one, Bryce Harper is the best offensive player in the deal. And two, I'm not going to say Robbie Ray is better than Kershaw rest of season, but I absolutely think that there is a chance that Robbie Ray could be better than Clayton Kershaw rest of season, whether that's because Kershaw, you know, has a setback in his injury or gets re-injured or, you know, just Robbie Ray himself has been performing like an ace throughout this entire season, basically after the first month. So you know, not to butter up my side too much, but that was my thought process behind it. But as Nick said, Kershaw is right there with Woodruff when he's healthy for being an ace for any <sighs> baseball team. So I think that this made Mike's pitching staff 
even more dangerous. And one thing that I was actually thinking about after I had made the trade, which was interesting for me to reflect on, is I was thinking back to my draft. And this is like the first player, and I think my first four picks that I had traded away all season. So I went Scherzer first round, Kershaw second round, Rendon, and then Bogarts. And I had held on to all four of those guys for the entire season up until this point. So Mike, congratulations for prying away my second round pick. Although I think Nick, you took Bryce Harper in the second round. Does that sound right? Uh, the first or the second, I did him and Yelich on the turn. I can't remember who I took first. So I think you took, I think you took Harper. Yeah, that sounds right. So I was hesitant. I don't want to say like I was actually thinking about this ahead of the trade before we accepted on both sides, but I've been hesitant obviously all year holding on to my top picks, um, but felt that this move justified it to get a guy that was, you know, has a similar caliber and Bryce Harper back. I think he was the headliner of, of the return that I got. So I think it's a good trade all around. You want to trade Harper? Yeah. <laughs> no, I do not want it. I do not want Yelich. <laughs> But let's jump into the next one. We have Jake giving up Ryan Yarbrough and Dylan Carlson, Eddie giving in return Michael Conforto. Mike, I'm going to toss this right back to you. What did you make of this trade? Uh, I mean, it's difficult. Has Conforto gotten any better? I haven't really looked. Is he, He's been hot. I know I moved him. The all-star break. Kind of. Okay. Okay. I mean – I think this helps Eddie get a solid potential keeper if that's the route he decides to go and deal with Carlson. Uh, he's still really young, um, plays for a good team. I don't know what Jake's intentions are with Conforto. Like you said, I mean, he has been hot past the All-Star break. So you're basically buying the Michael Conforto that we saw last year. Um so, but I guess I would give it more on Eddie's side just because Carlson's youth and keep eligibility and they're right around the same level of play. I mean, Ryan Yarbrough is, you know, he's a quality pitcher when needed, but the big piece here was Carlson and Conforto, and I'm going to take the youth and also the level of play since it is very similar to Conforto. Nick, I'll let you jump in here. Yeah, I'll jump in here. I thought I, – initially I thought it was even because I was actually thinking about asking Eddie about Michael Conforto um, probably a few weeks ago, but I wanted to watch what played out with him a little bit more. And what jumped my interest in him, interest in him was, one, he was an early-round draft pick. I think you drafted him, Mike, like in round three or four, right? Yes, uh, third round. Yeah, and uh, so there's that name, you know, that name value of – you know, he has potential to have a higher ceiling than most other players in this deal. Uh, and he had, a, like, I think a game he had two home runs in a little over a week ago that spiked interest. But now I just pulled up his, his game log. And in the past, like, 20 games, he only has three of those games that are above the four-point mark. He has mm. not been good at all. Um, so I, I actually, I think I'm going to change my opinion. I initially thought it was even, I, I like Eddie's side of this more because I truly think that this helps his team right now, getting the guys he does helps him with his relief pitching. Ryan Yarbrough was not a big name, um, but he has been pretty consistent, at least putting up points similar to that of a, you know, a relief pitcher that you want in your lineup. And Dylan Carlson's been doing well. It's not a big deal to really have strong opinions of or strong feelings about. Um, but 
I just think right now this is helping Eddie's team um, perform better than it has. So I, I would lean Eddie's side, but I get why Jake made a move for him. I explained my thought process, why I was interested in him. But just as you pull up um, how he has been doing, Michael Conforto has not been doing well. He's batting 200 on the season. That's not good. Yeah, I didn't really think uh, too much of this deal. I don't, there, you know, there wasn't a show-stopping return on either side. I did see today when I was looking at Eddie's team because, you know, we'll talk about it in our next trade, but Eddie made two moves in a row, which is not necessarily characteristic of Eddie this season as far as what we've seen so far from him in our fantasy baseball league. So I did just want to take a scour of his roster and see if there's any, any you know, any offers that I wanted to toss out his way. And it just so happened that when I was looking at his roster, I was looking at, you know, what if, I, I talked about this briefly a few weeks ago, the whole what have you done for me lately mantra. And Dylan Carlson has been pretty good lately. He's averaging over three points per game over his past two weeks, which I think Nick just went over Michael Conforto's splits as far as his last 20 games or so. It's better than what Michael Conforto is doing. And not only that, but I believe Dylan Carlson has triple eligibility in the outfield. So I think mm -hmm. that Eddie is getting a good return right now. My guess as to what Jake was aiming to do here is bank on the upside, bank on the track record, because Michael Conforto has been a proven asset for multiple seasons entering this year. You know, he has been a streaky hitter from time to time in the past, going cold at times. So that is part of the downside. But Michael Conforto has been drafted with, you know, in the first six to seven rounds, each of, I want to say, the last three to four years for a reason. He, you know, he is a proven fantasy asset. And so that would be my guess as to what Jake was trying to do here. One, trying to target a proven asset as far as track record in the past. But two, you know, who knows what Jake was trying to do with his roster spots. I haven't looked too closely, but maybe he was trying to bring somebody off IR. Maybe there was a guy that he was looking at in the free agency pool that he really wanted to add but didn't feel like he could drop somebody for. So that's kind of like an underrated part of some of these two-for-one or three-for-two or four-for-three deals that we don't talk about very much. It is valuable for the guy that's giving up more players to open up a roster spot to have a little bit of flexibility. So I think for right now, Eddie gets a little bit of a better end, but I would not discount what Jake is looking to do here too much. Let's talk about the, the last trade of the week. Nick, this, this was the first one that you were involved in this week. You gave up Tommy Edmond and Christian Javier. Eddie gave you in return Teoscar Hernandez and Richard Rodriguez I will share what I shared with Eddie earlier today when we were golfing, when he asked me what I thought of the trade. I'll keep it very simple. I think that Teo is a better hitter than Edmund, so Nick got the benefit there. But I think Christian Javier is better than Richard Rodriguez both this year. And I actually think Christian Javier could be the make-it-or-break-it piece of this deal you know, in future years if Eddie actually decides to keep him because he will come – into our draft pool as an SPRP eligible player next year. He has enough relief appear, appear, appearances this season that he will carry that forward with him into next season. And so if Eddie keeps him at, I'm not sure when he drafted him, Nick, does the 13th think, round uh, sound familiar? I think it was 14. 14. The first pick of the 14th round. Yeah, that's right. So Eddie would be able to potentially keep him in the 11th round. And if Christian Javier cracks the Astros rotation next year, He's been performing all year, so that is a very valuable asset to have that spark in the 11th round. So time will tell. I don't know if Eddie's going to keep him or not, but I do think that as of right now, it's a relatively even deal for right now. 
I think that Christian Javier can be the make it or break it piece to determine the value of the trade in the future. Mike, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, uh, I think it's pretty close, kind of like the one me and you uh, made, Nate. Uh, how did you say his name? Teo? Teo. Oscar Hernandez. Teo. Yeah. He, he is the better hitter. Um, Tommy Edmund does have a lot of multi-eligible positions, which is nice. It's good to have. Um, Nick, it kind of sounds like you're banking on Rich Rodriguez getting traded, huh? That's kind of um, that's me assuming that's the reason why you want it. So I'm gonna kind of jump into asking you that. Say that one more time, Mike. That last part. Is that yeah? Are you basically banking that Rich Rodriguez gets traded to like a um, pretty good team? Yes, yeah, I mean that's my line of thinking. That's not why I made this deal. Yeah, uh, Richard Rodriguez was kind of like the last piece, basically what Eddie was looking to. I'm not sure if that was a piece that he was dropping. I think that was just somebody mm-hmm. he didn't really care to give up. I know he was interested in Javier and um, uh, throughout the deal, and I was mainly interested in Tay Oscar. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's just a piece where if he gets traded, I, I like that. I, I think ideally I'd want him to get traded to a better team. He has better opportunities to close in better situations. Um, but, no, I traded for Tay Oscar. I wanted a, more of a power piece in that position in right field, somebody I felt better at, better with. And, uh, you know, he's been, he's been overall in the year. I don't know what the marks are as far as like total points, but he's not far behind Tommy Edmond on the year. And I think what I looked at this mm-hmm. afternoon, he's had close to 80 or 90 less bats. Like he's scoring close to half a point more, more per game than Tommy Edmond. And Tommy Edmond, what's so great about him is Mike or uh, Nate already pointed out that he has so many position eligibilities you can slot him in for. But a lot of those positions I already have backup players I felt good in that Tay Oscar was a deciding piece to me that I really just wanted a bigger bat in that right field slot for my lineup. Um, So he was what I really wanted most uh, out of this deal and giving up Javier. I wanted to keep him, um, but to me it was worth it to get Tay Oscar. And Nate pointed out what's going to make or break this deal is the future, but that's something that just – I didn't, I did not care about. I was not going to keep Christian Javier. I think he is a quality keep, not a fantastic keep, but I think he can be like what Nate was showing. He can be a great asset. If you do keep him, if he turns out to show the value he has this season and to a little bit of a higher level and a consistent starting role next year with the Astros to where this would be a great deal for Eddie. If he does keep him and he turns into that, but that wasn't something I was considering with Christian Javier. I was not considering keeping him, but I knew he had that you know, kind of to his ledger of uh, as far as ledging him into a trade that he does have keeper eligibility and a pretty decent discount for a spark player. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of reverse what uh, Nate said. I think Rich Rodriguez can make or break this trade and you could easily win this. If like you said, if he gets traded, Rich Rodriguez, you know, he's not the top relief pitcher, but he's been solid on one of the, worst teams in baseball if he goes to a good team and he gets the opportunity to get more saves or more holds or whichever stat he um gets most of his points from i think you can get just a similar production from that you had from christian javier if not maybe even better and like you know teoscar hernandez like you mentioned he's got good hitting he's got good power he plays for one of the best offensive teams in baseball so I like it. I think 
it helps both you guys out 100%. I totally agree. I was actually comparing for a while when I was, um, cause the final deal that happened is what Eddie offered, you know, kind of looking back on our trading negotiation process. And so I did kind of a deep dive comparing Javier and Richard Rodriguez kind of since Javier became a relief pitching, a relief pitcher. And they both have been up and down in their week to week production, but overall they've been very like, consistently the same. So that was mm-hmm. kind of what, made me the final decision was uh yeah i gave my final seal of approval approval over it, it wasn't a knockdown from javier to richard rodriguez but we don't have to talk about this deal anymore i'll so jump in and in, in closing and say or i'll caution that the grass is not always greener um richard rodriguez if he gets traded he is definitely not going to be the closer on the team that is trading for him so i think the best you could hope for if Richard Rodriguez gets traded is for him to be an eighth inning setup man for him to get consistent holds opportunities, which presumably if he's being traded, it's to a good team. So if he is one of their late inning options, which I presume that he would be, then he should get consistent opportunities for holds. But I think it would hurt if he was potentially like a seventh inning man, as opposed to an eighth inning man. I think there's virtually zero chance that any team, any contending team is trading for him with the aim to make him their closer. Oh, now I really want to see. Just I want to see Nate be proven wrong. <laughs> I just Ooh. I don't. You can't. If you look back at the past few trade deadlines, which I know this isn't a knock, but you just you haven't paid attention to baseball over the last few years. No, Nick. no. I I knew nothing, hardly anything about baseball until I started uh, this this season. Yeah, if you go back a few years and you look at the relief pitchers that were traded at the deadline, even quality relief pitchers you know, nine times out of 10 are not the closer for their new team that just traded for them. The only exception where I would say that this year, if this guy gets traded, he is going to be the closer pretty much no matter where he goes is Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell. Yep. He's been lights out. I learned enough to know that. So, but we will move on from our trade segment because we have a pretty long segment here. Uh, We're going to call this one our BPW best player wins since this is, it's the name of this podcast hot stove which is what they call you know the rumors leading up to the real life trade deadline for major league baseball we're actually going to do this in two parts so this main segment this week features two different parts and the first one is called deadline buyer or deadline seller so we're going to discuss teams on the fringe of a playoff spot as well as those who have a bottom of the bracket spot nearly locked up so you know anywhere from like the fourth seed to the eighth seed uh but You know, some of those teams don't necessarily appear strong enough to take down the best teams in the league back to back to back like they would need to in order to win a championship here in our league. First, we're going to discuss what we think each team should do at the deadline, and then we're going to share what we think the team will actually do at the deadline. And please note that we're going to be excluding teams that have both declared what they are and acted upon that declaration. And that list will include Jake, who has, you know, said he's a buyer. He's obviously made trades to buy i am a buyer nick is a buyer mike is a buyer and then our two clear sellers jordan and scott they will be excluded all of those guys from this segment so we're going to start with you know the bottom and kind of work our way up and that that brings us to eddie so mike i'll ask you first what do you think eddie should do at the deadline in his current position uh i know eddie to be a competitor and I don't think he wants to immediately just start selling all of his big pieces. Um, I would say to move Cedric Mullins. 
I know he's got no keep eligibility. He's been a great center fielder. And as everybody knows, center field is probably one of the most important positions in the outfield in our lineup. Um, He's been a great piece. And I think right now, Eddie's team is not at the championship level. However, I think you can still remain competitive and get maybe one, possibly two, really good potential keepers for next year if he moves Cedric Mullins. So I think if I'm Eddie right now, I'm trying to see what I can get out of Cedric Mullins without totally decimating his, what you want to call, competitive nature. So that's what I think he should do. Yeah, I'll jump in there and I'll say I don't mind the choice to maybe sell off one of your best players. But I think at this point, uh, with the roster that Eddie has, it would be really tough for him to nab one of the best of the best keepers that would be made available by the buying teams. So I almost think at this Mm. point, just based off of what I think Eddie could possibly get at the deadline for his best players, he should almost just, you know, kind of try to stick with his guns and see just how far he could go in the playoffs. I I don't mind, like you said, him selling off like Cedric Mullins to try to get one of the best keepers, you know, that he could possibly target. But I don't think that he would do well by selling off like every single good player that has something to offer just to see what he could get to keep. So I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, Mike. I think overall we agree, but I don't necessarily think that he should take it the full way and become a quote unquote seller. But I'm no, I, I, I don't think Eddie's that kind of guy. Like I, I, like I said, I don't think Eddie's the kind of guy to do that. I just think he can move Cedric Mullins and still go for how far he can go. That's just me personally, especially with the addition of Dylan Carlson. He can slide him right in the center field. I don't know how the rest of his outfield goes, but I think he can. There's another piece that well, he could potentially sell, but you know, what are you going to yeah. do for Randy Rosarena? I think that's what I was, you and yeah. I are looking at. But Nick, what do you think Eddie should do? Yeah, I mean, I would label him looking or label his team that he should sell because primarily I don't think he can compete with the top teams with his starting pitching, mainly his starting pitching. His offense has been doing pretty darn good lately. Uh, And just my mindset is if you're not going to win at all or be top two or so, then I would look to sell. But I'm kind of right there with um, Eddie's mindset that that would be tough for me to do. And – I think it's really when – I, when I think about keeper leagues in general when it comes to fantasy sports, people always, I think, overvalue keepers or looking to get keepers when what's more valuable is a season that's happening right now. So I think Eddie's doing the right thing trying to compete right now. He's not far behind. He's able to make playoffs and make a push in the playoffs. So I like what he's doing. Um, I, I will always probably go with the side that the current season is more valuable – in the future season because you won't be able to – I mean, the future is unpredictable apart from a few marquee players that are just consistent year after year. Um, with the guys you keep, it's not a guarantee. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll save a little bit more of what I think Eddie will do and should do when we get to that. Well, that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to keep it simple. I think Eddie will be a quote-unquote buyer, but I think what it's actually going to look like is more of like a middle in between. Uh, Eddie is definitely not, what I'm confident in is that Eddie is not going to sell. I don't know how far he would go with buying. I don't really think that he, I don't even know who he values as his best keepers on the roster currently. I know. 
I'm going to get to that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he'll trade those guys away. I think Eddie is, you know, he will take competing as far as, or I should say to the extent of not letting go of the guys that he sees as his top keepers. So I think that he's going to be quote unquote a buyer, but I don't think that he's going to go all in with a really big move at the deadline. Uh, Nick, I'll toss it back yeah, to you. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's what's going to happen. Like you, I can confidently say or confidently say that Eddie won't be a seller. He's going to continue to compete. I know Eddie is a fantasy manager, as a competitor. Um, we co-manage uh, some teams in baseball and football together. Um, we have a similar mindset, and so I know he's not going to sell. I know he's going to continue to push to compete. My advice is if you are truly going to try to compete and make a deep push into the playoffs – then you are going to have to sell some of your bigger keeper piece options. And I know one of those would likely be Aloy Jimenez, Jimenez, who he drafted so late in the draft. We all forgot about him. Eddie nabbed him. And he, if I was Eddie and I was really looking to make a splash, trying to get some bigger names on my um, roster, I I would look to sell him. Um, That might be hard for him to do. I'm not sure if he would, but that's something I would, I would try to do as a specific move for him to make. Mike? Yeah, I agree with both you guys. I think Eddie's going to go for it. I mean, go for as far as he can. Um, He might make one or two moves, but I think he's got a good core set of guys. I think, does he still have Pete Alonso for one more year? I'm not 100% sure. He does. does. Yeah. I mean, hey, man, you know, keep true to your guys. If you got five really good players going into next year, that's a really good spot. Um. yeah, go for it. That's what I would say. That's what I think he will do. Cool. Let's move on to our next team, which is Sam. Uh, as far as what he should do, I know that Sam has been – and the reason why I say that Sam, you know, is part of this segment, even though he has declared himself as a seller and acted on it, I know that kind of breaks the rule of what we were introducing for this segment, but I actually included Sam here because I think that he should maybe try to sell back some of his keepers and buy some players that can help him, you know, make a run in the playoffs this year. So I know I broke my own rule, but it's because I think Sam should maybe back off of being such a heavy seller because his team is not far out of a wild card spot and his team is pretty talented at the core. Nick, what do you think? I don't have strong feelings if he should become a buyer. I think he has the ability to definitely become a threat in the playoffs by selling. Or I'm sorry, by buying uh, for sure. And I know he's shared with the group that he's buying. I'm sorry, selling. Goodness. It's, it's confusing looking at his roster, what he's doing. So I keep going back and forth with what he's doing. But he probably has um, a roster that he has a lot to deal as far as quality keepers, for sure, more that he can keep. So like you're pointing to, pointing to Nate, he can become – a buyer and look to compete right now while still keeping some quality um, guys in the future past this year. I'm not sure if that would be worth it for him. I'm not sh- I think honestly for it to become worth it for him to become a buyer that some of the teams towards the top of the standings need to start to sell and for him to kind of be in those deals for it to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. So overall, I don't think it's worth it for him to sell. Um, I should say buy. Yeah, to sell as keepers. Yeah, sell, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. To sell as keepers to then become a buyer to compete now is overall what I think Sam has the ability to do. But the guys that uh, I think will make it worth it, I don't think are going to be there. That's my opinion. 
Mike, what are your thoughts? I think it's, this is tough. Uh, Sam could go so many different ways that we wanted to. I'm kind of just looking at his team right now. I think, like you mentioned, Nick, he's got so many good quality keepers. He's got Corbin Burns, Dylan Cease, uh, Yerman Marquez, Brian Hayes. Uh, I think if I were Sam right now, and this is even if you aren't buying keepers or if you're selling keepers, I would move either one, two, maybe even three of those guys on his IR right now, as in Mike Clevenger, Chris Sale, Luis Severino. I would so I would definitely try to sell two of them. Either get your offense back to form if you are going to compete now, or find another good offensive bat that you can keep for next year. Because as of right now, it just seems that Cabrian Hayes, which I mean, we all love Cabrian Hayes and I hope he turns out to be that superstar. But he's still really young and he hasn't proven to be that superstar kind of level yet. So his offense, I feel like it could easily amplify if he moves one of those guys, if not all of them, because he's already got a good core of pitching that he can keep and burn Cease and Yerman Marquez if he goes that route. Um, he's got two of the arguable best relief pitchers in the game, Liam Hendricks and Alex Reyes. I would say... Figure out what you want to do with your offense now and for next year, you know, just depending on what he wants to do with that. So, yeah, Mike, you didn't even mention, or maybe you did, and I just, we just missed it, but he also has Chris Sale, Mike Clevenger, and Luis Severino. I think he has all three of those guys. Which yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I said. I said he should move maybe even all three of them, potentially. I mean, maybe keep one, just, you know, hey, who do you have more faith in for next year? You know, hey, that's my guy. I'm going to keep him. I would move the other two. I know I, I'm pretty positive that Severino and Chris Sale are both in the same round that he would be keeping. I think. Don't I could be totally wrong. They are. I do. I kept, they are. I kept both of them, so I know that. Uh, okay. Well, 15th round this year, I kept them in the 15th, and one I kept them in the 16th. So they would both be 12th rounders next year. And also, yeah. interesting note is. Both are expected back this season. Chris Sale should probably be mm -hmm. the first to come back. Um, he's making what would I would assume would be his last rehab start this coming Saturday, and then he would potentially be activated by the Red Sox after that. Luis Severino is probably closer to a month away. Clevenger has the, the biggest discount, but he's not going to pitch until next year. So mm -hmm. I think I, I don't want to – give Sam too many ideas, but I feel like sale would be the, the clear cut guy to hold on to if you were trying to make a run in the playoffs this year, but he also has one less year of eligibility than Clevenger. Um, but again, you mentioned Severino's in the same round as him. So maybe Severino's the guy that he lets go of because sales, the obvious choice over him for this year, you don't necessarily want to lose Clevenger next year. So there's Sam has options, but I think Nick made right. a good point that for him to really make a splash and become you know, a true top three team that could potentially have a shot at winning the title this year. I think he's going to need one of the, you know, one of the teams at the top to sell some of their guys to him, which I think would be, you know, a hard sales pitch to give like a JC or a Courtney. Um, but I don't want to spoil too much here. We're going to, we're going to actually talk about those two teams here in a little bit. The next team that we have is Brendan, the Soto shuffle. So 
Nick, I'll ask you first, what do you think Brendan should do? Did we get to what Sam will do? Not really. I mean, I think we're all kind of pointing to it, though. Yeah, no, I guess we did skip over it. I, I don't think that Sam makes those moves that we were talking about. Sure. I yeah. think that he probably sells off his remaining big players for this year to try to get another good keeper or two. I agree. I think he will continue to sell because I think the moves that he would need to happen to become a true competitor deep in the playoffs, they just won't be there. So I think he'll continue to sell. Mike, do you think he's going to buy or you think he's going to sell? Continue to sell. I think he's, I think he's going to keep selling. His offense is – it's just not comparable. No offense. His pitching's great, but his offense is just not there. So I think he's going to try to get maybe one more big keeper. Yeah, thanks, Nick, for catching that. I did forget to, to see what we all thought about what Sam will do. But, yeah, now we can move on to Brendan, the Soto list shuffle. And now, Nick, I'll ask you, what do you think Brendan should do? I think Brendan should sell. I know he wants to compete. Um, I think he can compete and make the playoffs and uh, possibly get a win. Like, I know I haven't been a part of the league, but I know he's known for that making or having one big upset in the playoffs. My big question for him would be, is that really worth it? Is it worth it to try to get one win in the playoffs or to at least sneak in, maybe get one win in the playoffs, but don't feel really confident you can make it much further when you could have got a much bigger quality piece for your team for the following year and actually make a deeper on the playoffs. So I think you should sell. That would be, um, yeah, that would be how I see his team. I agree with you. Um, and I don't want to spoil what I think Brendan will do, but I guess I will spoil it because I think Brendan should sell for the one reason being that I want him to make my bold prediction before the season to come through that come true that Brendan for the first time in league history would miss playoffs being a bottom four team. So it's like extra impressive this year. It's one thing to predict that somebody that's made playoffs every single year we've run, we've ran this league will will not make playoffs. It's a whole nother thing to say that we've now expanded the playoffs. So you really have to be bad to miss the playoffs this year when eight out of 12 teams are making it. I think Brendan should sell to make that bold prediction come true. I'm going to spoil what I think he will do and say that he is not going to sell after hearing me say that, that my bold prediction might come true. And so I want to add on to that. I think what's almost worse than being one of the bottom four teams is being basically one of the bottom two teams in the playoffs, knowing that you don't really have a shot to get past Maybe the first round, but not much further. So why, why try to get there when you could have nabbed a few more quality pieces for the following year to really make a push to really make a championship run? That's just how I am as a uh, competitor. I, I kind of want it all or I don't want it at all. Mike, we have basically already talked about both sides of what he should do and what he will do. What are your thoughts on Brendan's team? I think he should sell and he should get one more big time pitcher because his pitching next year personally could be outstanding. He can have Chris, uh, Chris Bassett, mm -hmm. Freddie Peralta, uh, Aaron Savali, mm -hmm. Zach Gowan. If you chose him, Dustin May. you get one more pit. Dustin may you get one more pitcher. I mean, you don't have to worry about pitching at all next season. Well, for the draft, I mean, of course, you're going to draft accordingly, but you can really work your offense when you have those options at pitching, especially at that discount. I think you should try to snag one more, sell, 
bite the bullet because your pitching next year can be one of the best, if not the best. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and Brendan went really offense heavy this year, and that's why I was so I don't I don't know if hot on his team is the right way to say it. Like I was hot on calling him not a good team to start the year because he went so offense heavy as opposed as opposed to taking pitching early. So, you know, he could avoid that next year, like you said, by pretty much having his entire pitching staff in keepers. So I, I do like that idea, Mike. Uh, do you think that he will actually sell? I think that Nick and I are in agreement that he's not going to, despite the fact that we think that he should. Do you, you know, dissent an opinion here and think that he actually might act on it and become a seller for the first time? I think he does, man. I really do. He's just been struggling lately. And that's not knocking his team or anything. But, I mean, you're not going to be getting big piece. The If you're trying to go for it this year, you are moving guys like Chris Bassett. You are moving guys like Freddie Peralta. And those are some of the best players on your team, regardless of being able to be kept. If I'm him, I'm, you know, like how Nick said, I mean, why – why try that hard when you would have to sacrifice those kinds of guys and you can go into it next year, start fresh, bank on the pitching. I think, I think Brendan is going to sell. I, I, I truthfully do. All right. I like it. I think that might be the first time that we have uh, disagreed, but I, I like that. I like that call. I, I think that Brendan is certainly smart enough to do what, he ought to do, but I also know that Brennan has a lot of pride in his reputation of being the guy that makes the playoffs, despite not necessarily having the best team, but upsetting a team that was, you know, clearly better than his. He does take a lot of pride in that reputation, but Brennan is also a smart guy. So, you know, I'm not going to yeah. say that it's impossible that he does sell like you say, Mike. So Jerwin mm-hmm. is our next team, team positivity. Now, he has declared himself as a buyer, but since making that declaration, he has not acted on it yet with any trades. So that's why I'm including him here. We all know what he will do. So I'm going to eliminate that part of the question for Jerwin's team. He will be a buyer, but let's talk about what Jerwin should do. And I am actually going to, maybe I have the minority opinion here because I do think that Jerwin has a good team and I have kind of stuck with that mantra that I think that Jerwin's team can compete on a week to week basis with some of our top teams in the league. I think that he has a, a lot of really good players on the team. However, I think that Jerwin should actually sell because if he falls flat this year, he basically doesn't have a leg to stand on. I don't know. I haven't looked at his roster yet today, but I can't think of off the top of my head, any top keepers sitting on his roster that he has a a safety net, so to speak, where if he doesn't even crack top three, you know, come the end of playoffs, that he can say, that's all right, I still have next year because I have such and such to take with me onto my team for next year. I don't really think that Jerwin has any cornerstones on his team like that. So it's basically all boom or all bust for Jerwin, where if he doesn't win at all or, you know, take top three in any capacity, he's basically starting from square one next year. Nick, do you want to jump in here? That's a really good point. And despite that, boom, I think he should go for the boom and try to go for it all. I like the positive vibes. I like that he's declaring as a buyer. Um, I 
honestly, if you asked me this question last week, I probably would have told you, I think you should sell. I probably honestly, when I really sit back away from it all, lean more towards what you shared, Nate, that you should do that. But I just want to see Jeremy continue to go for it. Keep those positive vibes rolling. Mike, jump in. I'm going to highlight something Nick said a little bit ago and that I think people do get caught up too much on keepers. And looking at Jerry's team, it's a good team. It truthfully is. I say go for it, man. And if you lose, you lose. Start over, draft good, and you'll be right back on the horse. Keep the uh, positive vibes rolling. His team's a good team. It really is. I think so, too. So, like, I know what I'm saying sounds like the opposite of what I believe, because mm-hmm. I do believe that it's a good team. But it's just like there's so much danger that he really hasn't been able to get out of the out of the muddy water. You know, his his record is still what twelve and eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's twelve and eighteen. So that just shows that he hasn't really been able to climb out of the the deficit that he you know earned his way into at the very beginning of the year with his bad record. Uh, so what that tells me is he hasn't been able to beat the good teams consistently, and beating good teams consistently is exactly what he's going to need to do to take home a top three finish at minimum in our playoffs. So it's not necessarily me, you know, I know Jerwin and I disagree a lot publicly. It's not another case of me just disagreeing with what Jerwin is doing just to disagree. It's just a matter of hedging and, you know, hedging the risks that you're taking. And I think for Jerwin, you know, it's going to be harder for him to finish in the top three than not. And if that more likely scenario, in my opinion, of not finishing in the top three plays out, he's not going to have much left to stand on. And that's the only reason why I say he should sell, despite the fact that he already declared himself a buyer. But let's talk about these last two. I think these are going to be really interesting. And if they're listening to the episode, they might think, you know, why would they possibly put us in this in this uh, segment here? But you'll hear why. I have JC as our next team. And... Uh, the reason why I have JC in here is because, well, he's one of about two or three teams in the league that doesn't really trade very often, if ever. So even though you always think that JC is presumably a buyer, he's, I want to say the number three seed in your division, Nick, does that sound right? Yeah. He's behind me. <laughs> yeah. So he is a top three team in, you know, that division with Jake and Nick. So he pretty much has that playoff spot locked up but he doesn't make moves as if he's one of the best teams trying to get better. JC is just kind of the guy that sits on the team that he drafts and takes moves very seldom as they fall on his lap. Um, and so that's why I include him here in this segment of, you know, maybe we all think that he's going to be a buyer, but he certainly has not acted on it. And I think that he's suffering the consequences. You know, he made, he did make a, a string of trades a few weeks ago where he, you know, he dealt from a strength of his relief pitching bullpen and I don't know necessarily that it's worked out how he had hoped. Obviously, losing Trevor Bauer is a big blow to his team. So, you know, maybe some doubt creeps in and he thinks, what if I become a seller? So I guess that'll lead us into the question. Mike, I'll ask you first, since, you know, he's your opposite in the other division as the three seed. What do you think JC should do here? Uh, this is this is even tougher than Sam's. Um he's been JC his record is above mine but he's been struggling a lot I think he should keep it going I think his team 
as much as has he has been struggling, it's still a good team. Regardless, he is potentially getting uh, Luis Robert back, which yeah, he does strike out a good amount. But that's it's you're not complaining that you're getting one of the better young guys back on your lineup. Um, you're hoping that Trevor Bauer comes back, which that's that's really a toss up. But he's still got quality pitching in itself. I think if I were JC, maybe. I don't know who would try to buy Trevor Bauer, but he could possibly be a, you know, a position that he can move, try to upgrade his team, whether that's through, you know, relief pitching, or I think third base is what he's always been looking for. But it's tricky. He's been struggling, so I really don't know what he's going to do. I think he should keep it going, though. Yeah, I'll jump in there and and say I agree that. Uh, JC, if he wants to be a buyer, should be looking for help because I don't think he has the firepower to take down, you know, the top teams week after week and go on a title run. But despite you mentioning he should look for offensive help, I think he should actually, and I'm sure Nick agrees, look for pitching help because I don't think not only does Trevor Bauer have any value left this year, I think it's it's becoming clearer by the day that Trevor Bauer is going to offer nothing for the rest of this season. But unfortunately for JC, Trevor Bauer has no keeper eligibility left. And uh, just like the other person that's still left to be mentioned in this segment, Courtney, I think it's just a case of them being stubborn at this point. Courtney, you know, she has Ronald Acuna Jr. on her bench who has zero value for the rest of this season and is ineligible to be kept after this year. Same thing with Trevor Trevor Bauer um, to a lesser extent because we don't, technically know if he's going to be out for the rest of the season but I think those two would be better off oh obviously Courtney just dropping those guys using the roster spots to better serve their needs elsewhere and I think um, you know despite JC being a perennial top three team in his division I think this year is the first year that I would actually say JC should consider selling he does have good pieces to offer teams that are buying And I think that he could get a solid start for next year because I just don't think that he has enough keepers on his team to become a buyer and really make an impact as a top team this year. So it it pains me to say that because JC is a good fantasy baseball player in particular, but uh, I think he's just lost too much to make an impact as a top three team this year, this year. So I think you should consider selling Nick, you want to jump in here? Yeah. The last part of what you shared, I think is the ultimate factor of you know just uh, what's the what's the factor for me and my decision of what, whether he should be a seller or buyer it's that he doesn't have much to offer in keeper value to become a buyer and no. I, I don't think he's going to be a contender for the title I think JC can be a top team but not week after week like you're pointing to Nate um, so I would be looking to sell to try to get some really high quality keeper pieces uh, I think that's what he should do um, he's one of those Teams that's tougher to know exactly what to do because he is in a great position, having a playoff spot all but locked up. And if that was me, I mean, if I had a playoff spot locked up, I'd be thinking, well, I'm in the playoffs right now, so I'm just going to compete and compete hard. The problem is he absolutely needs better pitching. He, he has good pitching. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But losing Trevor Bauer is a big hit, and I don't think he pitches again this year. Um, and you can't even sell him like you were saying, Nate, because he doesn't have any keeper eligibility. So that's a big stinker. 
Um, so I think he should sell, but uh, what he will do, what you're going to get to next, I'll just say, I don't think he will, but I don't think he has many moves really left to become a buyer either. I actually think that JC is going to surprise us and make a really big move where he sells. Um, JC is stubborn. Don't get me wrong. I think that he tries to hold out for as long as possible to try to be one of those top teams in the league. And, and that's what I think most of us that are true competitors do. Right. But JC is smart. He is a good fantasy player. And I think that he recognizes his limits as they approach. And I think that JC has been trying to bide his time, both with his overall team, but also with Trevor Bauer in particular to see what is going to come of his situation I think that not only is it becoming clear to the rest of us that Trevor Bauer is likely going to be of no value for the rest of this year, I think it's probably becoming clear at this point to JC as well. And my guess is that, you know, if unless he starts this matchup on fire or unless some huge advantageous trade where he is a buyer falls in his inbox somehow, I think that JC actually might surprise us and make a big time seller move. Um, so I'll actually go out on a limb and say that JC will become a seller. Mike, what do you think here? Wait, I see what you're doing. You're buttering him up. You want some of those big pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest piece that he has, has to offer off the top of my head, because I don't have his roster pulled up, would be Freddie Freeman. Yeah. No, I think I could say for all of us that we all respect JC as a competitor, as a fantasy manager. He does a great job. And we'll get to Mike next. Well, I, was gonna I didn't say, mean to cut you off there. I was going to say before you jump in, Mike, I think the – I don't want to say the problem, but it, it is an obstacle if JC wants to become a buyer. I think when he tries to make buying moves, he's not willing to see out a long-term plan, as in make a move right now that'll leave you leave a hole on your team, sure, but also have the foresight to look at other potential deals that that opens you up to after to then address that hole later. And to give you a specific example. JC is listed from about the beginning of the year that Freddie Freeman is available on his trade block. <laughs> but I guarantee you that anytime somebody asks about Freddie Freeman, that JC is not even going to consider pulling the trigger unless he has an at least solid first baseman coming back in that deal. And what I think is the hard thing for him to realize is that people that have an already solid first baseman likely aren't pushing that hard for Freddie Freeman. And so I think, Maybe that's an area of growth for JC where you almost sometimes need the foresight to say, hey, I could trade a guy, a top bat like Freddie Freeman to get really big impact at pitching, which is a weakness for my team. And then I could use some of my other ancillary pieces on my team to then get a solid first baseman in a later deal. I don't need to do it. I don't need to accomplish everything in this one trade where I'm moving my big guy and Freddie Freeman. And I think that's something that JC struggles with. I think what's hard too. I think I believe I heard you mention that JC likes Freddie Freeman, right? As a loves player. Freddie Freeman. That's one and of his so favorite players. That's actually been one of the easiest pieces for me entering into fantasy baseball is I don't really have an emotional tie to most of any player, unlike fantasy football, where like JC, there are Freddie Freemans in football to me that I have an emotional tie to, like guys you just want on your roster. Um, but overall, as a fantasy manager, you want to try to have that motto of just stay water, um, stay emotionless when it comes to the player be more analytical and try to make more moves that way uh, and less on emotional tie to the player. So what you're getting to, it's, it's a good piece of advice. Mike, let's let you jump in finally and say what you think JC will do at the deadline. I mean, you guys covered a lot there. Um, 
I think honestly he is going to sell. I think you've already got one of the best keepers in Bo Bichette. I believe he's probably going to, regardless, keep J.D. Martinez. Um, we'll see about Luis Robert, but it's nice having a guy like Bo Bichette to kind of get your keepers all set and together. It's a luxury to have. I mean, I have it with uh, Fernando Tatis. Um, I think he will sell. I think it's going to be hard for him to because, as you guys mentioned, he's a great competitor. And he, ha- he still does have a good team. Um, but he has really struggled a lot lately. And he's just fallen more and more down the standings. I know he's only one game ahead of myself. So, it might just yeah, be I think he will. I'm not sure exactly huh? what record is, but I know he oh, has yeah. that tie in there. That's right. Forgot about that. So I think he might be right, right, right. Eighteen and one, something like that. What well, I think, yeah, game and a half. Like, well, like say if I go two and zero, and he goes zero and two, I'm right back ahead of him. So, but regardless of that matter, uh, yeah, I think he will sell. I mean, heck, he can even keep Salvador Perez. He's been a, if not the only. The only good catcher in baseball. So, yeah, I think he will sell. Yeah. Obviously, we all respect JC, and and I think this – I think Mike and I's answer speaks to – I think that we just think JC is too smart not to recognize the situation that he's in. And that's almost how I feel Mm -hmm. with Brendan, too, is like, yeah, both of them really want to compete, and they're known for being perennial playoff teams, but I also have too much faith in these guys – intelligence to not think that they're they should sell or, or will sell you know what I mean now do you think either of them just wants to do like opposite of what Nate says like have you really pissed them off I think <laughs> I think Brendan has a little bit more of that in him than JC like I think JC probably yeah. doesn't like JC doesn't actually care what other people think like I think he'll just do no, that's the thing. bottom picking up from JC I guess I was more meaning about Brendan Brendan <laughs> Brendan put, could potentially say like I don't want Nate to be right about what he said at the very beginning of the season. Uh, and I'm going to go for it just because I don't want Nate's bold prediction to be right. Like, I don't think that he, I'm not saying that he will do that, but out of the two of them, I could see Brendan being, you know, having that attitude. Can you say more. on podcast that Brendan will not trade with Nick? Brendan, because if he doesn't want to fall, you're right. Nick's looking to trade with you, Brendan. If no, I just can't even get a response out of him. There's one for the air. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the last team, which this might be, you know, come as a surprise. But she hasn't made a single trade this year. So, yeah, she has a great record. But how can you really truly say that somebody is a buyer without the action of actually buying, right? She hasn't made a single trade this year. We're talking about Courtney. So this might be a little bit of a, you know, a hot topic for this segment, discussing what should she do as the second place overall team in the league, or maybe she's even first, I'm not sure. But let's talk about Courtney. What should she do? Nick, I'm going to toss it to you first. Thank you. I actually have the most confident, in my opinions, of everybody and how I feel about Courtney's team. I think she should definitely sell. And here's why. Nick Cathion, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna. All of them out. Ronald Acuna, the rest of the season – Mike Trout just shared that he felt something in his calf. He's going to go back and get reevaluated. He could be even longer. Nick Castellanos is going to be out for a while. Hugh Darvish is looking like a bum. You know, can she compete with the best? Probably. Can she do it on a week-to-week basis? 
no, I don't think so. Like that, like my opinion may come off as strong. I'm just being honest though. I think she should sell. I think she has players to move to help her land the best keeper pieces available available. She has Ozzy Albee. She has Trevor Story. She has Anthony Descalfani. She has you Darvish. Uh, Summer, all these guys, she can move and get the best keepers that are left out on the market and get them for next season. Um, now, I know we're not getting to what she will do, and that's the toughest piece to predict because, like Nate was pointing out, she hasn't made a single move other than updating her trade block. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, as somebody that respects Courtney, obviously she's two-time champion in our league. I think I have a little bit too much respect to say that she should sell as, you know, a top two overall team in the league by standings currently. But it's so hard because pretty much every option that she has to sell uh, is getting hurt, right? Like Nick Castellanos, he is uh, – I don't want to call him a fringe keeper because he's been like a top outfielder overall this year. And so I think he's definitely worth keeping next year. But that's also a player that really helps Courtney this year. And so I can't really think – you know, maybe Zach Wheeler, who's also been a cornerstone of her pitching rotation. It's like a tough situation because her top keepers are also players that are pivotal to her team's performance, right? And so it's hard to say that she should sell, but I don't really know how much buying she should do. So if we're talking about unless she's going to stand pat, which she could do because, you know, we're three months into the season and she hasn't made a single trade yet, unless she's standing pat, the only thing that I could really see her doing and making a big impact by doing is selling some of those top players to get top keepers. I do not think that she has the ammo to be a big time buyer at the deadline. So I will say in terms of what is possible, I think only selling is possible. What she should do in that case, you know, based on my respect for her, I think she should probably just stand pat. And, uh, you know, try to compete as is and hold on to those pivotal pieces that are also nice keepers for next year, like Joe Musgrove, like Zach Wheeler, like Nick Castellanos. I think that's probably going to be her best option unless she wants to blow it up, which I cannot foresee happening. Mike, go ahead and jump in. Uh, first thing she should do, drop Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, I know it sucks, but he ain't coming back. And you can't keep them next year. So figure that out. Get a roster spot. Get somebody, anybody. I think she should just make small little moves. Fix some of the holes that she's got. Because she does have a good team. She does have Ozzy Albies. She has Trey Mancini. She still has Bregman. And yes, Trout did uh, re-aggravate his calf. Um, but I do anticipate Trout coming back at some point. I think she should just make small little moves to rebuild her team without taking too much of a risk. And I know that's a tall order to say and do, but Courtney's reputation is what it is. She's been one of the best, so I'm sure she can figure it out. Um, she's got good pieces. Move a little bit. Try and see what happens. That's what I think she should do. Will she do that? I, I honestly don't know. Like you guys kind of said, I mean, she hasn't made one trade this year. She's kind of like the ghost in the room. I don't know what she's going to do. I have no idea. Well, I'll jump in since you shared that you don't really know what she will do. Um, I don't know either, Mike, to be honest with you, because I think traditionally in the past, 
there's been, this is going to probably come off the wrong way, but it's just, it's just been a trend that I've noticed. It's been a trend that a couple other people that are not in the inner circle notice. Usually one of like a Jordan or Jerwin type are kind of the saving grace to a team like Courtney, who sits on her team all year. She doesn't make any moves. And then she kind of gets a pass by being able to land one huge deadline day trade, right? And it happened last year where she was a seller and so traded with Jake, um, where she got Ronald Acuna, Josh Hader. I know that was a really big deal. Um, but in the past, when she has been a, been a competitor, I feel like, you know, some of the bottom of the barrel teams have kind of come, come in and been the saving grace where she hadn't traded all season, but she can make up for it by doing a really big deadline day trade. And I'm not sure who that person is this year. Uh, I think Sam has kind of blackballed the historically great teams, quote unquote, in our fantasy league. Like, I think he's very hesitant to trade with me, Jake and Courtney. So I don't think that Sam is going to be, you know, come running to save her team. Uh, so I don't think, you know, who else is left at that point? Jerwin said that he's going to be a buyer. Jordan doesn't really have many pieces left. So I'm with you, Mike. I have no clue what she's going to do besides maybe just kind of stand pat. Like I said, she might want to consider doing. Nick, do you have any? Somebody's, feel, somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. Yeah. When you said that. You know, I haven't been a part of the league, so I don't have a knowledge base of what's happened in the past with her. Uh, but similar to you, I don't know what she's going to do because I don't think she knows what she's going to do. She has not traded. And I think that's actually right there. I know it's been pointed to uh, earlier in the group chat earlier in the season that, well, look at Courtney. She is one of the top teams in the league and she hasn't traded. Why is trading such a huge thing in the fantasy world? Is that actually like a good skill to have, or is that valuable? I think, yes, absolutely. It is. And she could have avoided the conundrum that her team is now in with all these injuries. If she, if she made any acts in the, in the trade game. I think she could have totally avoided this and still bit, not just been a top team in the standings, but continue to be a top team at the end of the year, which, I mean, I could be wrong. You never know what's going to happen, but I'm pretty, pretty confident that I do not think she's going to be a contending team because of her lack of trading and what's happened to her team. That's why I think trading and negotiating is such a valuable skill to then make adjustments for what happens to your team throughout the year. So what she will do, I don't know. She has not traded. My experience is that she doesn't offer uh, little to nothing in terms of negotiation when I've reached out to her. She's obviously a knowledgeable fantasy um, player, um, so I'm not knocking her in that regard. Uh, she's won this league, from what I've been told, twice. Um, but she, she hasn't done anything in the trade game or anything in improving her team other than updating her trade block, which hasn't turned into anything. So it may sound like a harsh opinion towards Courtney, um, it's just, that's just my analyzation of, or my just thoughts on the way her team has flowed and the lack of management that has taken place and adjusting to the injuries that have taken place. So I think she should, she, she should sell what she will do. I don't know, because there hasn't been any action to analyze, to take out of what she actually will do. There's been nothing to, to see. Whose feelings are going to get hurt, Mike? Was I too hard on somebody? I don't know. Somebody's. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I'm just, Come like probably I, what, I what Wednesday. Pretty, I think I went pretty easy. I've said Jordan was a farm team to Jake. I've gone as far as to say Jerwin has been a farm team to Courtney, but that is not going to be the case this year with Jerwin saying that he is a buyer. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually saying that I don't think 
then anybody will simp for Courtney this year, if you will, um, and give her her saving grace of a trade at the at the deadline. So I'm. I'll just say I think every I think most people in the league would love to see a new champion. I'll just say it there. I agree. So. Remember back in that same bold prediction segment where I said that Brendan will miss playoffs. I said that you or JC will make your first championship appearance and it doesn't look so hot for JC. So Mike, I'm counting on you, even though you're, that would mean that you would be knocking me off or I would have been knocked off at that point. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. So let's get into part two of our BPW hot stove segment. This one is going to be called keeper or not a keeper. We're going to discuss players widely considered fringe keepers. uh, Those that a small number of managers might view as a keeper while others do not. So, you know, controversial players, I guess, that are potentially keepers, potentially not. And along with the players positional eligibility heading into 2022, the, the number of years left in their keeper contracts and the rounds that those would come in, I'm going to share a reason for optimism on that player, as well as a reason for pessimism. And then each of us will let you know if we think that player is a keeper or if he is not a keeper. You ready, Mike? Go for it. All right. The first one is your uncle's guy, Julio Rodriguez, or I should say one of his guys. Julio Rodriguez is center field and right field eligible. He has three years of eligibility remaining. 2022, he will be a 21st round keeper. 2023, he would be a 16th rounder. And 2024, he would be a 12th rounder. As far as the positive spin on Julio Rodriguez, he is a consensus top three prospect in all of baseball and will presumably have multi-positional eligibility so long as Fantrax doesn't remove one of them which I'll say could happen because he hasn't debuted in the majors yet. We'll see about that. The negative spin on him is that we haven't seen a single prospect hitter transition to the big leagues at a high level this year, not even presumed superstar prospects like Wonder Franco and Jared Kelenic. So Mike, I'll ask you first, is Julio Rodriguez a keeper or not a keeper? He is 1000% a keeper. And how you said, yes, that these prospects haven't done much of anything this year. Well, we haven't seen Julio Rodriguez. And he has that same kind of discount that guys like Ronald Acuna have, that Fernando Tatis has. Definitely not saying that Rodriguez is going to be that guy. But chances are he's going to maybe come close. I'm taking those chances. Uh, 1,000% he's a keeper. Okay, I'll jump in and I'll say, actually, Mike, I agree with you. I think the discount that he will be kept at and the fact that he has all three years left, I think there's basically no downside for Scott to keep him at this point. Um, It's certainly a downer for Scott to see Wonder Franco and Jared Kelenic not perform, uh, you know, as soon as they hit the big leagues this year, especially considering those are the two guys that most – prospect ranking sites have right above Julio Rodriguez in their rankings lists. Um, And it also hurts because those two guys are also on Scott's team, but I don't necessarily think that that should put a damper on Julio Rodriguez. My thought is, you know, for these guys that are ranked as potential superstar prospects or superstar impact bats at the major league level, once they debut, 
such as Kalanick, Franco, and Rodriguez, I think if you see two guys flop, you should feel pretty good about your chances in a vacuum of at least one of the three guys hitting, right? And so oh, yeah. because of that, I'm actually – I don't want to say more optimistic on keeping Julio Rodriguez, but it almost makes me want to keep him even more because you kind of want to cast this wide net so that you catch at least one superstar because I feel like it's bound to happen with the, you know, the top three prospects in baseball. So I do agree with you, Mike. Nick, did you have any other thoughts? No, I'm right there with you too. Uh, I'm not a big keeper in the prospects. Uh, I guess the top name prospects this, the, this year, but Julio Rodriguez, a little bit that I've learned about him, a little bit that I've watched, and especially the discount that he's at, I think he's definitely a keeper. I think Scott has a potential really good one there. Uh, I won't add too much more. I think he is for sure a keeper. Cool. We're going to keep it moving because we have a lot of these. So we'll try to keep it maybe even more brief than we just did there. But Randall Grichuk is our second guy. He is center field and right field eligible as well. Three years of eligibility remaining. He's a 20th rounder, then a 16th rounder, then a 12th rounder. Positive for Grichuk. He has nearly matched his career best in strikeout percentage this season while maintaining strong contact metrics, as he always has done in his career. Uh, the negative spin on him is that he is putting up a career worst in walk percentage and has a 2.2, sorry, 2.22 point per game average, which ranks 31st among center fielders. The only reason why I put Grichuk in this segment is because I've heard not just you, Mike, but I've also heard a couple other people say that they planned on asking about Randall Grichuk and seeing if they can get him in a trade. I don't understand it. I'll answer the question first, keeper or not a keeper. No way is he a keeper for me. I don't understand the interest in him, uh, but I'll pass it to you, Nick. Do you think Randall Grichuk is a keeper? No, he's not. He's not a keeper. I would assume that people would only be asking about him as depth for their roster. That would be my only guess as to why they would want him on the roster. I would not be considering him for a keeper for my team. So that's my short and simple answer is no, I wouldn't consider him a keeper. Mike, you're the guy that had some. I'll add, especially with that outfield. I mean, look at the outfield there with the Blue Jays. Yeah. George Springer, say Oscar Hernandez. Lourdes Gurriel. Lourdes Gurriel. I know Lourdes Gurriel is not an overpowering guy that you have to have out there in the field, but neither is Randall Grichik. So I'm, I'm not sure of his playing time that I'd want to hold him for my team. Mike, you're one of the guys that I know has had some potential interest in Grichuk this year. What are your thoughts? Is he a keeper or no? No. Um, the only interest I had is he started off hot, and I haven't heard his name since you just brought it up, so no. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> it's just being, being honest. Next guy so. we have is Yuli Gurriel. He's a guy we've already touched on this episode, but he is first base eligible for the Houston Astros. He has three years of eligibility remaining. He would be a 20th rounder, then a 16th rounder, and then a 12th rounder. The positive for Yuli Gurriel is that he is the number six overall first baseman on the season and is averaging a very solid 2.97 points per game. The negative is that he is 37 years old, so you probably aren't counting on any more than just one year of production from him. So even though he's eligible for three more years, you're probably not looking past 2022 if you decide to keep him. Mike, he's currently on your team, so I'll ask you first. Yuli Gurriel, is he a keeper or not a keeper? Oh, man. Ah, uh, you know, Mike, the seller wants to say he's a keeper. The buyer selling. I think he is. I'm not going to keep him, but I do think he is a keeper. Selling keeper. Because because a 20th round discount for a starting first base, that's pretty damn good. Even if it is for one more year, 
So I think he is a keeper. Huh? You say he is a keeper then? I do. I, I think he is. Mike, I'll actually give you the vote of confidence. I agree that he is a keeper. I don't think that he is a top keeper. I don't think that he is a keeper on a team with a lot of options to keep. But on somebody's team in our league, I think absolutely Yuli Gurriel is a guy that you can throw at the end of your 2022 draft there in the 20th round and feel good about. You know, maybe I still want to draft the first baseman earlier than Yuli Gurriel throughout this draft. But if your draft strategy pans out that you didn't, you you know, you weren't able to get a first baseman, you still feel all right because you have Yuli Gurriel back there in the 20th round. So I will say maybe not for a strong team, but Yuli Gurriel definitely deserves to be kept. Um, I'll go on record and say in the draft keeper poll next year, Yuli Gurriel will be a top five pick. You think that he'll be tossed back to the expansion draft, so you do not think that somebody will trade for him on Friday or Saturday? Oh, I don't know. Hey, he's available. And he's going to come with <laughs> there it. Is. He's available. Nick, but I'm also, I'm also content having him, too. He's a great first baseman. So get a hold of me. Big money, Mike. <laughs> Nick, what do you think about Yuli Gurriel? Yeah, I was just giving Mike a hard time earlier. We're on the same page. I think he's a keeper. Not an exciting one, though. Um, but – he can be a keeper for most of any team, not all teams, if you have a lot of options, because uh, he's not going to be more than one year. But actually, when people say this guy is a great keeper, he has, you know, good valuable for the next three years. When I hear that, I just think I don't care because I'm only one thinking about this year. And the next most valuable thing is next year. I don't care about two, three years down the road. Um, and, and I'm probably going to move them after a year or two on my team. So when it comes to having eligibility or all three years, that is not nearly as valuable to me. And so I think Yuli Gurriel, what he showed this year, and that he's going to be a huge discount with what his production has been this year compared to what he will be kept at next year. I think he is a keeper. Not the most exciting, but yes, he is a keeper. JC has been pretty much the only guy that holds somebody all the way through their keeper eligibility. So keep that in mind when you're you know, talking about deals. I think that's a good point that Nick brought up, is not looking too far into the future. Next guy, I think this is the first, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but I, I expect this to be an interesting discussion. It's Luis Castillo, starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. He only has one year of eligibility remaining, and he would be a third rounder next year. The positive for Luis Castillo, he is a proven pitcher that usually returns starting pitcher to or better value for long stretches of each season. The negative is not just this year, um, and I know it feels like it's, it's, you know, only this year, every year, because he's always getting off to a slow start. But Luis Castillo is historically a slow starter to every season. And this season was no exception. He might have been, you know, gotten off to the worst start of his career this season in particular. He was unusable for the first two months of the season. All that being said, uh, what do you guys think? Is Luis Castillo a keeper or not a keeper? Nick, I'll ask you first. So my answer I'm right in the middle either. He could be kept, he could not be kept, and I wouldn't really feel strongly one way or the other. I think he's shown the value that he could be kept. Um, but with that third round, I would want something that's more for sure. But what makes him that you can lean him as a keeper is he's a starting pitcher. And are you going to get that high of a ceiling of a starting pitcher as Luis Castillo in the third round with the amount of starting pitchers that are going to be kept the top end guys? And is he going to be drafted earlier than the third round? If he's not kept, he could be. I think he's. I think third round is right around where he's going to be drafted. Maybe middle to late second, early to mid third. That's right around the range that he will be drafted. 
So I guess overall, I would say probably not a keeper, but if a, a team kept them, I wouldn't think that that was a bad move on their part. So I'm right in the middle. I'll jump in right between you two guys, giving your takes. And I'll say that I actually think for that reason, Luis Castillo is a keeper. I think that he absolutely would be drafted before the third round. Um, definitely before the end of the third round, which is probably going to be my draft slot. I know that I'm probably foreshadowing maybe a little bit too much arrogance, but I expect to draft at the end of the round next year, as I always have as a top three finisher. So I think that Luis Castillo definitely would go before the end of the third round. We saw Zach Plezak go in the second round this past year. We saw Steven Strasburg go in the early third. I think that Castillo... Um, I know we're kind of looking in hindsight, but I still think that even coming into this year, going into next year, that he is a higher caliber pitcher than some of those guys. Jose Barrios is another one. So I want, well, I am going to jump in right there. So for you, he, in your opinion, would be a quality keeper for your team. If I you're think catching that, him on the back half of the third. What about a team on the first half of the third? First half of the third, that's when you start to consider. Because that's what know, I was pointing to. That's right not? around the area. My opinion is back half of the second or early half of the third is when he will likely be drafted if he's not already kept. My thought at that point is it just depends on what strategy you're looking yeah. to take with your draft. If you want to get a starting pitcher in your first three rounds, I think Luis Castillo would be a perfectly fine keeper option even for the early third round um, as a team that got one of the first you know, one to four picks. That's fine. Uh, as somebody that would be at the end of the third round, I think definitely he's a keeper. Um yeah, I think we're in yeah. agreement. Mike, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I won't add too much. I think you guys both hit it pretty well. Uh, it really just depends on draft strategy, where you're at in that round. Uh, he has proven to be a quality pitcher. I think he definitely has the pedigree and the level of play to be a good keeper, especially in the third round. So, yeah, I think he is. Cool. Uh, let's move on to the next guy. Similar, uh, similar range and similar caliber pitcher, Zach Gallen. He has two years of eligibility remaining. He will be a fourth rounder next year, a third rounder in the year following. Positive spin for him is that he has already demonstrated the skills and volume necessary to regard him as a top 20 pitcher. And I'm specifically thinking of his 2020 season where he was just awesome last year. The negative is that he just hasn't been able to stay healthy this year. So, Mike, I'll ask you first, is he a keeper or not a keeper? I I, th I think he is. I really do. I mean, I had him on my team, and I was planning on potentially keeping him. Uh, the talent's there, even when he has been hurt this year. He's been a little up and down, but the talent is there. It does suck he plays for Arizona, which is one of the worst teams, and if not the worst team in baseball. Um but kind of like how you guys said with Luis Castillo, I expect Gallon, if he were not to be kept, to be drafted right around that range, bearing any sort of injury, which is the big question with Zach Gallon. Um, I think for the talent that you get, absolutely. But it is a risk. So overall, yes, he's a keeper. The talent's there. But really just depends on the manager and the confidence level. Sure. Nick, what are your thoughts on Zach Gallon? Yeah, so I'm going to point out that I'm a new fantasy baseball manager. And so I, I highlight or I value what I'm seeing this year. So I feel very strongly that I would not label Zach Allen as a keeper. I don't care whether it's been through because of health or lack thereof this season of his performance. He 
looking at his stats and what he's been putting up, he is a bum to me. Like not like not a terrible player, but he's not somebody I want to keep. What's he at next year in the fourth? And I don't even know. I don't recall who's seen that this is on. So I'm not trying to offend anybody, but he is not a keeper in my eyes or somebody I'd want on my team, um, especially at that fourth round price. Um, But I know you all have been playing or have been, you know, paying attention to fantasy baseball or just baseball in general longer than I have, at least most recently. Um, So, you know, Zach Allen as a player historically better than I do, but this season, I mean, you value, like, what have you done for me now? That's what you've been kind of, or at least your model now with guys you want on your roster for this season. And I think what's happening right now, especially this entire year, that's a good predictor, at least as best a predictor as you can have for what's going to happen or similar to what's going to happen in the future. So, no, I would not label him a keeper. He's too up and down for me, especially at that fourth-round price. It's a fair opinion. Um I'm going to say as the host of the episode, since we've been recording for, you know, quite a while at this point, let's try to fly through the rest of our, of the keepers on the list. We still have like 10 more. Jeez. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try to go through them real quick. I'll just get you like, yes or no. Are they a keeper? Right. Next guy we have Kenta Maeda. Uh, he has two years of eligibility remaining. He'll be a fourth rounder and then a third rounder positive for him. He was dominant in 2020 and he does look to be coming around as a serviceable SP3 lately after a brutal start to the year. The bad is that he will be entering his age 34 season next year, and this price would probably peg him as a low-end SP2 or high-end SP3, just depending on your draft strategy. Mike, is he a keeper or is he not a keeper? Let's try to keep it brief if you can. I don't think he's a keeper. The youth in pitching is getting better and I think you can get a better picture. Sure. Oh, oh goodness. Nick? I don't want to go off on a tangent, but my answer then would be to Mike, why? He has been doing better than Gallon. And I guess historically, it wasn't my Ada Cy Younger close to a Cy Young winner? Last year, but it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you just point to Zach Allen, him doing really well in 2020, which is last year? Yeah, but he is. And who has been better this year, my Ada or Gallon? I'm full. I, my Ada, 100%. And I also I think, think I also go ahead. Well, well, I, I know you can kind of, pro, you know, point to his age as why he's not a keeper. I say that. Mm-hmm. And I still say he's also not a keeper um, because I just want something that's consistent in that early first four rounds of knowing what I'm going to draft, or at least knowing what I'm getting and who I'm drafting. I don't know what I'm going to get out of my aid. I don't know what I'm going to get out of gallon. Uh, I like my aid what he's doing now, but I would not keep him there. Um, but he has been better than Gallon, so I don't know why he would not be a keeper, but Gallon would. It would be my question to you guys, despite his age. I'll jump in. I would just – go ahead. Go ahead. You're good with that, Mike. And close this yeah. out on my end so that we can keep it moving forward <laughs> by saying that, yeah, you think that way now, and I think that you're making a logical point here, Nick, but you got to remember it wasn't too long ago, maybe just two and a half short months ago, where you were drafting really young pitchers really early. Oh, I didn't so even maybe, do that on purpose, though. <laughs> I mean, you and Eddie both and, and a couple other people in the league were valuing young pitching more highly this year than we have ever seen. So I do think, you know, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, that there is, you know, to an extent, there's an age bias. Right. Zach I, Allen's like, what, 25? Maeda will be 34. I will year. at least point out from my perspective, when I was drafting, I had no idea who was old and who was young. That's how new I was at fantasy baseball. Yeah. All right, well, let's keep – I know you had more thoughts to share on Maeda, Mike, but we have plenty left. You're here. fine. Tommy Pham, he's another guy that you just newly acquired. 
left field and center field eligibility. Um, and he has three years left to be kept. Tenth rounder, eighth rounder, sixth rounder. Positive. Fam should easily clear 15 home runs, 15 steals, and a 365 on base percentage this year, which is super useful for our format. The negative is that he will be entering his age 34 season next year, and he is an unrestricted free agent. So presumably, you know, a 50-50 shot as to whether he'll be back on the Padres or not. Nick, I'll ask you first, is Tommy Pham a keeper or not? Um, I think it's right in the middle. I would not want to keep him, but I probably lean the keeper side with what he offers and his position eligibility. Um, although I know that I'm not very knowledgeable in, in the area of whether it's a good thing for them to be a free agent, I've learned that it's probably not. It's a little bit more predictable of how they're going to be used in the roster and everything. So I don't know. You could label him a keeper or not a keeper, and I would kind of be fine with either, either decision. I'll jump in before you, Mike, and say I do not think that he's a keeper. The only way that I think that Tommy Pham is a keeper is, say, a team like you were to go all out and pretty much sell all of your keepers besides maybe like a Fernando Tatis Jr., then sure, yeah, you could keep Tommy Pham if he's still on the roster because you've got to fill keeper slots somehow, and I'm sure that he would be drafted before the 10th round. Other than that, for a team that is targeting keepers and has quality options otherwise, I do not think that Tommy Pham is a keeper. I think that he's probably more just like a serviceable option this year, which is fine. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's a bang-on keeper. I think it really just depends on the team. Like, I agree for my team example, potentially. Cool. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is the next guy. Second base and shortstop eligible for the Rockies. Three years of eligibility remaining. He would be a 17th rounder, then a 13th rounder, and then a 10th rounder. Positive, he plays in the best home ballpark in baseball and is a former top 15 overall prospect in baseball. The negative is that the Colorado Rockies have a reputation for being absolutely terrible at developing their prospects. And Brendan Rodgers is no exception. He has a career 237 batting average. He only has five home runs in his major league career. And he has a 642 on base plus slugging across 79 total games over three different seasons in the big leagues, which is just not good, folks. We don't have to necessarily spell that out. Um, he was recently claimed by Jake. And as a competing team, I can't see any other reason for Jake to claim Brendan Rodgers other than to potentially try to sell him as a keeper, which begs the question is he a keeper or not a keeper? I'll be the first to say. Brendan Rodgers is not a keeper. That's why I cut him. He was one of the only sellable keepers that I considered on my team, and I still cut him because he was so bad. Uh, so that's my answer. Mike, I'll ask you next. Is Brendan Rodgers a keeper or no? No, sir. No, sir. Easy. <laughs> Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I landed on no, he's not a keeper. One, because – he stinks. <laughs> Two, the key to that uh, former top 15 prospect is former. He's not a top 15 prospect. And three, I value your opinion. You dropped him. If he had any keeper eligibility, you would have kept him. So I value your analyzation of the player and you dropped him. So I would not consider him a keeper. All right, let's move right along and maybe keep bashing. Analysis. Boom. I've had a few beers. Yeah, <laughs> let's keep either bashing or, or propping up Jake's team here. Let's look at Vidal Brujan, second baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays, or I should say second base eligible because he was recently sent back down to the minor leagues. He has three years of eligibility remaining. He would be a 16th rounder, then a 12th rounder, then a ninth rounder. 
The positive for Bruhan is that he was a quick riser this season on prospect lists after a super hot start in which he was absolutely crushing AAA pitching in May. The negative is that once the calendar turned to June, not only did Videl Bruhan go cold in AAA, but he started to slip in prospect rankings once again as people that ranked on these sites concluded that the skills that he was displaying in that month of May where he was hot were actually pretty uncharacteristic with the rest of his minor league career and that June was kind of a regression back to the mean for Videl Bruhan. And then the Rays, they actually didn't really do much uh, of a favor for Bruhan. They called him up, but they didn't really put him in the lineup very often. So they didn't really give him a chance to kind of bust out of not necessarily showing much in the few plate appearances that he did give them at the major league level. Uh, so this one I think is a little bit more of a toss up than Rogers, but I'll ask you first, Nick, is Videl Bruhan a keeper or not a keeper? Yeah, I guess it depends. I would not want to keep him. He's not, I don't think he has a skill set in a little bit that I've learned this year and what I want in, in a player. Um, and I think particularly Eileen, not a keeper because I, I think you'll be able to draft him close to his keeper value next year. Um, maybe not. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe just the name Vida Bruhan and um, how he's been looked at as a prospect. Maybe people want to draft him earlier and the potential upside that you can have in a position like second base where there's not many top tier second baseman out there. Maybe somebody will draft him earlier than the 16th round. So that's why I say it depends. Maybe want, somebody wants to take a shot and keep him at that value. Um, so I think some teams are willing to take that risk. Uh, and some teams just don't see him as a quality keeper for their team. So I think this answer is it just depends. Uh, Mike, you were pretty hot on Videl Bruhan. You drafted him in both leagues that we play together in. So what is your thought on Bruhan? Is he a keeper or no? It's close. It really is. Um, right now I'm going to have to say no, but it, it, it somebody could take the chance on him. Not only can he play second base, I know he's got – outfield playing the minors and I mean I think also shortstop so it's a lot of hopes that you get out of him so it really just depends on how much of a betting man you are uh sorry about that I didn't realize I was not muted I was trying to blow a bug off of this uh box jump we're actually recording from Nick's garage tonight I'm over at Nick's Nick's place recording together here in case you haven't noticed with the opening squeaky door our little brothers coming in and out of the garage yeah we're in my garage gym we have our computers on the box jump currently yeah so that's what we're working with this week uh to echo what you guys were saying i think he is definitely a fringe keeper which you know is perfect for this segment you know i couldn't blame somebody for keeping him as like their fifth keeper and more likely i bet that he would be released into the keeper expansion draft and i couldn't necessarily blame somebody with like the eighth or ninth or tenth pick or 11th i guess now that we're doing 12 teams in the keeper expansion draft taking videl brujan just as a flyer but nick also brought up a good point which i think i might have mentioned even in our league group chat i don't see why you couldn't draft videl brujan in the 16th round in our regular draft and still give him three more years of eligibility after that. So <laughs> for that reason, where like, yeah, you could, you could draft him as a 16th rounder as a flyer. There's nothing wrong with that, but why drain a year of eligibility and why not just release him back into the pool? And you're probably not going to be fighting with any other teams to get him in the 15th or 16th round next year. So that, for that reason, I, I also lean not a keeper, but, I'm not going to, you know, give a scold to anybody that decides to keep him. Let's really fly through these next guys. I, I know I keep saying it, but 
uh, going pretty long with the episode here. The next guy is a guy on my team, Luke Voigt. Oh, yeah. First baseman for the New York Yankees. Two years of eligibility remaining. He'll be a 15th rounder and then an, uh, a 12th rounder. Positive for Luke Voigt, believe it or not, he was the number four overall first baseman in 2020 and averaged 3.45 points per game. So he had a great year last year. But the negative is that this year he has been unable to get anything going in 2021. He's been hurt most of the season and has played in less than one-third of the Yankees games. Keeper or not a keeper, I'll be the first to say, I'll be the first to eat humble pie and say that Luke Voigt is probably not a keeper except to maybe a team uh, that doesn't have quality options or maybe as an option in the keeper expansion draft toward the back half of the round. But other than that, I don't think that he is a very attractive keeper. Nick, what are your thoughts? You said he was on your team? He is. Okay, so he's not a keeper. <laughs> okay. No, no, I didn't. Uh, just looking at what he's done this year, I would label him not a keeper just on what he's has done this whole year as far as his health and his production. That would give me a cause of, or give me, you know, just a moment to just give pause to what I'd want in a keeper. And he's not something I'd want. So um, I know he's done well in the past, but no, I would not consider him a keeper. Mike? No, Yogi Gregel is better. And you can get him later. Good point. There you go. Uh, next guy, Sandy Alcantara. These next two guys are pretty good, so it'll be interesting. He has three years of eligibility left. He'd be a six-rounder, then a fourth-rounder, then a third-rounder. Positive, he's taken a step forward this season and is viewed as a consensus high-volume, low-strikeout SP3. The negative is that the Marlins appear to refuse adding anything to their offense despite having the pitching staff of a competitor, which could spell trouble for his wins potential next year. Is he a keeper or is he not a keeper? He's on my team. I'll be the first to answer a question and answer the question. I think he is a keeper. Six round. I don't think that you're going to find a better pitcher than Sandy Alcantara. That's not a keeper at that point. Nick, he's on your team. Yep, he's not a keeper. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Sandy Alcantara is a keeper. He's good. Mike. Yeah, I agree. His, uh, his teammate, Pablo Lopez, that's our next guy up. Three years of eligibility, seventh rounder, then a fifth rounder, then a fourth rounder. Uh, basically the same positive and negative as his teammate, Sandy Alcantara. He's taken a step forward this season. He's viewed as a middling volume, high strikeout SP3. So a little bit of a different profile as a pitcher than Alcantara, but a similar upside. Um, and he has the exact same negative, which is that the Marlins pretty much don't uh, appear to be adding anything to their offense at the deadline or presumably over the off season. So it might be hard for him to come by wins. Is he a keeper or not? I say that he is. Mike, your thoughts? I think he is too. He's very similar to Sandy. Wait, he's on Nick's team? No, he's not a keeper. No. Oh, Nick. shit. Nick, what are your uh, thoughts? Uh, I think they're pretty darn close to the same. I think Pablo has actually been a, a little bit better this year. He just set that MLB record for striking out the first nine batters in the Braves lineup. First pitcher and MLB history to do that. I know he's uh, hurt right now, but it's just a what, rotator strain. It's not, yeah. it's not like a UCL strain or anything like that. He's definitely a keeper for sure. Cool. And then these next few guys are all kind of in a similar vein. Most are prospects. I know Vaughn is the exception, but first one up is Spencer Torkelson. Three years left, 11th rounder, eighth rounder, sixth rounder. The positive, he's a consensus top seven prospect in baseball. And he profiles to be a high power high OBP hitter, which should translate well to our points league format. 
the negative, same thing as Julio Rodriguez. We haven't seen a smooth transition from a prospect hitter in the big leagues this year. Uh, Mike, I'll ask you first, because this is your uncle's guy. Is he a keeper or not a keeper at an 11th ground value next year? I think he is. Third baseman is pretty uh, weak uh, coming out of the top guys. So you're banging on him being that bell cow, the high power. And I think at that discount, you know, it's definitely worth the shot. So, yes, I think he's a keeper. I will jump in there and say that I think that this is the one guy that Scott should release back to the keeper expansion draft. So I guess by that definition, no, he's not a keeper for me. I think that Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Wander Franco, Andrew Vaughn, and Jared Kellenick, I would keep all five of those guys over Spencer Torkelson and all five are on Scott's team. So I'll say as of right now, he is not a keeper. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I, I didn't really know how to answer this one. He was hard for me to analyze of what I would or wouldn't do. I think it's a team like Scott's that I would only consider him keeping or, or only consider keeping him in where you have a lot of prospects and you're trying to cast a wide net and catch one big fish. Um, I don't know if he's the right one to keep. You're kind of pointing to no, he's not. Um, so I would say most teams, he's probably not a keeper. That's why he was dropped. Um, but if he was kept just because of the name, I wouldn't be surprised. Next one is Andrew Vaughn. He is first base and left field eligible. And I know that we, uh, Mike shared that Spencer Torkelson is third base eligible, but presumably Torque will be a first baseman once he reaches the major league level and probably won't play third base anymore. So Vaughn and Torque were kind of looked at in a similar vein coming into this season, both being top first base prospects. But Andrew Vaughn, he has reached the big league level. He is first base and left, left field eligible, like I mentioned. He only has two years of eligibility remaining, which are 14th round and 11th round. And uh, pretty much the same thing can be said of him as Torque, which is that he was a consensus top 10 prospect in baseball entering this season. And he actually has shown signs of life lately, averaging a solid 3.01 points per game over the last month. The negative, though, is that this past month, while solid, feels more like a hot streak for Vaughn than him developing his expected skill set, which was a power OBP combo similar to Torkelson, because Vaughn only has a 319 on-base percentage and 11 home runs on the season. Is he a keeper or not a keeper? I'll say yes for Scott's team in particular, which that's the guy that's holding him. He shouldn't be a keeper. Nick, what do you think? You just pointed out that it's Scott's team. So, yeah, for his team, I think he's a keeper. For most teams, I actually would lean no. Uh, I don't know too much about Andrew Vaughn. Uh, he's not someone from what I've learned about recently that I would want to keep on my team. I think there's just uh, there's just a lot of quality guys at first base and left field both that I don't think he warrants the merit to be kept uh, for the positions he's eligible at. But uh, sure, yeah, Scott can keep him. Mike? Uh, I'm not a big fan of Andrew Vaughn. I just haven't been impressed. So I'm going to say no. But that's just me. Because I think you said yes to Torque, no to Vaughn. Torque is a little bit more expensive. Would you prefer Torque to Vaughn then? I would say yes. And that's okay. only because, and this is my nerdy side, baseball card collecting side, and I know Scott would agree. For whatever reason, Spencer Tolkienson's card is going through the roof in price. And I know that doesn't always translate into real life success, but 
I mean, it could mean something. So I don't know. And I got his card. So I'm hoping that Spencer Turkinson turns out to be a stud. As somebody that's completely new to baseball, Spencer Torkelson's a bigger name to me than Andrew Vaughn. So I'm right. uh, Spencer Torkelson more than Andrew Vaughn, just specifically in the positions he's eligible into. Not that that matters a whole lot, but that's just my two cents. And I guess I said I was the opposite of these guys. I said no to Torque, yes to Vaughn. But you could make the argument that even though Torque is a little bit more expensive coming at 11th round as opposed to the 14th round, he also has an extra year of eligibility. He has three, whereas Vaughn has two. So you could, it's really a toss-up between those two guys. I expect both to be a first baseman long-term. So just a matter of preference. Next guy we have is the second to last guy, another prospect, Bobby Witt Jr., shortstop for the Kansas City Royals. He has three years of eligibility left. He'll be a 12th rounder, then a ninth rounder, then a seventh rounder. Positive, he's a t- consensus top five prospect in baseball, and he, he has the skills to be a five-tool player. Uh, the negative is that, again, we haven't seen a successful transition from one of the hitting prospects this year. And shortstop is the deepest position in fantasy, which is Bobby Witt Jr.'s position. Uh, so that, those two things, uh, were, those are what we're weighing. Is he a keeper or not a keeper? I'm confident in what you're going to say, Mike. Yes. Is that right? Oh, oh, yes. He's a stud. He's definitely a stud. And, yeah, you said shortstop's deep. Man, I think he could easily be a top three consensus top shortstop. No problem. All right. Next up, the, <laughs> the dude's a stud. Bobby Witt is hey, I'm freaky really good. I think he's a keeper. And actually, I just thought of this. I think Scott should sell a few of these prospect keepers to try to get a keeper that's producing right now at the major league level. Um, Bobby Witt might be one of them because he has two top shortstops in Wander Franco and Bobby Witt Jr. Because I do think Bobby Witt Jr. is a quality keeper. Um, I mean, I haven't seen anything, obviously, at the major league level to sit you know, to have any confidence in that because he hasn't, you know, achieved that, at least reach out to, you know, reach in the majors yet. But uh, he's a huge name, even someone new to fantasy like me with baseball. Um, he's a keeper for sure. But I think Scott should try to sell at least package two of these prospects to at least get one guy producing right now that he knows what he's getting uh, with that person that he, that he would be selling them for. Shoot, he's deciding between Bobby Witt Jr. and Wander Franco. He's deciding between Torkelson and Vaughn. Package two of them together and go get somebody else. Yeah. So, food for thought for Scott, if he's listening. Hey, Scott, we figured out your keepers. Yeah. The last guy we have for the the segment, for the very long segment, is Adley Rutschman, uh, catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. He still has three years of eligibility. He would be a 16th rounder. Along with, this is interesting for Sam, because that's whose team he's on, Chris Sale and Luis Severino, I think. Ooh, tough luck. Oh, wait, no, I think I might have that wrong, because both are 12th rounders next year. So, never mind. Scratch Ooh, that. bad analysis. Yeah, scratch, <laughs> scratch that. Scratch that. Uh, positive for Adley Rutschman. He's a consensus top 10 prospect in baseball, and he's already being slotted ahead of JT Realmuto as the number one catcher in Dynasty on many platforms. The negative is that while we haven't seen, you know, a smooth transition, like I've mentioned for some of these other guys, catcher is also a more demanding position than all others as far as position players go. So it could prove extra difficult for Adley to excel on both sides of the ball. Um, I will answer the question first. I do think that Adley Rutschman is a keeper. I think 
He has the potential to be a very special bat at an absolute wasteland of position and just the potential upside of that, where I don't necessarily give the nod of, yes, it's a keeper to that for any position. I do give it to a catcher. Uh, so I do think Adley Rutschman is a keeper. Mike, I'm sure you agree with me, so I'll toss it to you next. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, he's a special kid, for sure. Yeah, let's keep it moving. I agree 100% what Nate said. We have a lot to get through. We don't have that much to get <laughs> well, through. Well, too much to get through for as long as we've been going. All right, Jake's standout player of the week. He did pass me his notes. Kenley Jansen, Mike, was Jake's standout player of the week. He scored negative 37 points across the extended matchup period. His final stat line was three innings pitched. He gave up nine hits, so three hits per inning. Eight earned runs, almost three earned runs per inning. Five walks, so over one per inning. Four strikeouts, so just over one per inning. He blew three saves, so one per inning. And he did get one save. Uh, terrible week from Kenley Jansen. So that was Jake's standout player of the week. Let's get into our matchup preview. Look Can at- I say one thing? And I'll make it real quick. As long as I say it first. I, 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 had, I had a two-minute thing. I was going to freak out about Jansen, but I'm going to make this really fast. And excuse me, Grandma, for my language. Fuck you, Kenley Jansen. Whoa, he was my most valuable player in this matchup. <laughs> All right. I guess that's a brief way to sum up Mike's thoughts on Kenley Jansen. Matchup preview. <laughs> Looking ahead to week 16. Uh, best matchup. I'll go ahead and share. I have my matchup with Eddie as the best matchup, believe it or not. I think this one's going to be surprisingly good with both Eddie and I set to get nine starts across our pitching staff. This matchup is going to be extra interesting because I was somewhat forced to pick my spots with little room for error when looking at my pitching staff in particular, as I'd normally be very comfortable to take the chance on Max Scherzer being fine and making his scheduled start this week, but with the real-life trade deadline looming and him nursing a minor injury, I was considering hedging against losing a start altogether in the case of you know something like an injury setback or the case that he's traded, but I did end up keeping him in the lineup. But I will say watch out for a potential upset in this matchup with Eddie uh, beating me potentially. Mm, way to be humble. Nick, nice. did you have his best That's matchup? typically not like you. I, this is the part where I haven't done any prep for the rest of the podcast. So I'm quickly looking through the matchups and I'm going to choose weak pullout hitter that's Sam against Team C Deemer. That's Courtney. I'm going to choose that as matchup of the week. Cool. Mike, what'd you have? All different. I got JC versus Jerwin. I think this is going to determine a lot when it comes to seeding. And I'm looking forward to this matchup for sure. Always Nick and I, both of our other choice for, you know, considering our best matchup. As I just whispered that to Nate. I like it. I was considering that too. Yeah, I I believe you. All right. My thing to watch for this week is the deadline day madness. I know that some of us have hinted at this year's deadline day not being as crazy as it has been in years past, but I do still expect there to be a lot of excitement and action on Friday and Saturday. There's just something about the lure of a free trade and wanting to be part of the tradition that gets pretty much everyone in the spirit of wheeling and dealing. I am excited to see what happens and hope that we see at least one or two surprise moves, unless it helps my rivals. Then in that case, nobody make a surprising move. <laughs> Nick, what is your thing to watch no, for? That's obviously a thing to watch for. It's, it's the trade deadline. All right, Mike. Yeah, I got to agree. Uh, just seeing if one of the top six teams decides to sell. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point in particular is uh, seeing if an unexpected team sells. Matchup predictions. Uh, Jake's record is now 46 and 26. I'm 45 and 21, so we're, we're pretty close to the neck and neck. The matchups this week, we have Jake's fantasy baseball team versus the pretty petite princesses. I got Jake winning. Imagine you guys have the same. Yep. Let's move it. Mike? Yep. Those pretty uh, petite princesses aren't going to beat this team or team. Next matchup I got, Big Money Mike versus the Sodalist Shuffle. Mike, I got you winning. Nick? Yep. Big Money's going to make it rain all over the Sodalist Shuffle because Soto is on Big Money Mike's team. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Mike? I agree, and I'm going to make sure that I send a big Juan Soto emoji on Sunday. (laughs) There you go. Next matchup I have, Gone Forever versus number one contender. I hinted at the upset, but I'm not picking the upset. I got my team winning this one. Nick, what do you have? Uh, Yeah. Oh. I'm picking number one contender. Yeah, I think I have to go with you. Uh, I love Eddie. Um, I'm picking you. All right. (laughs) Mike, what do you have? I wanted to go for the upset, but you, you've been on a roll, man. You've been on a roll. I got to pick number one contender. Come on, Mike. I wanted that upset alert. Been on a roll. Oh, it's hard I got to go with it. Myself at this point. I was trying to be humble. I do think that Eddie has a decent chance to win, but. It's going to be close. It's going to be close. Been rolling lately, so I did have to stick, stick with it there. Next matchup, no contest. Team no name versus Pine Run Market. Definitely team no name. No, I'm just kidding. Nick's going to win this matchup very comfortably. Nick? I actually think I'm going to win, but not comfortably. I think Scott's team is going to make it closer than people think. I truly believe that. I'm glad you truly believe it. Mike, what's your call I'm here? not trying to eat a piece of humble pie just for the sake of sounding humble. I think uh, it's going to be closer than people think. This week I'm dealing with a few injuries, and it's going to be close. Mike? I'm going to go with the Pine Run Market for <laughs> sure. You're welcome back anytime. Sweet. Uh-huh. Next matchup was Nick's best of the week, weak pullout hitter versus Team C. Deemer. And I bet that he picked that because he has a surprising pick. And believe it or not, I have that same surprising pick. I have weak pullout hitter winning this matchup. I know Nick's dying to share what he has to say, but I'm actually going to save it for last. Mike, who are you picking in this matchup? Weak pullout hitter is going to be known as the strong pullout hitter this week. I got the upset against C. Deemer. All right, Nick, what do you think for this matchup? I am. <laughs> Sorry, we're just uh, laughing together. Uh, actually, yeah, I am confidently picking Sam's team. I think we pull out hitter. His team is going to going to win. I think he might win big, too. All right. Uh, the last and- matchup of the week, JC, hashtag $50 by 2022. Man, we got to talk about that buy-in pretty soon here jc versus team positivity i have jc winning this matchup despite uh us potentially talking about him selling and jero and buying i still have jc pulling this one out nick what do you have uh this is actually tough i think i'm gonna go on the opposite side and go with uh team positivity go with jero and squad mike oh man i'm gonna go jc i think he gets it this time all right, and then that will bring us to our Around the League portion of the podcast. Stick with us here. We only got a couple minutes left. Jake shared with me a league history fact of the week, which is that so far this year we have had 51 total trades, far surpassing the previous record of 41 set in 2019. 
And we have a chance to add to that total with less than a week to go before the trade deadline. So we will see what the total tally is by the end of this week. And that brings us to week 11 of Jordy, the general sports book. Welcome to that portion of the segment and take it away, Jordan. What's up everyone. We're back another week of the sports book. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been here. I'm excited to get back into some content here. I want to give a, a big thank you to my man, Big Money Mike, uh, for coming from, covering for me while I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was not able, to, uh, not able to give him some love last week as the uh, podcast was released before we got the sports book set up. But uh, Big Money Mike, Big Money Takes went four and one. Uh, so I want to, let's give him some love this week for having a, uh, a good set, set of locks. Um, unfortunately, mine for last week, which I sent that group, uh, not so hot, which I'm going to, uh, I'm going to blame on the extended matchup. I wasn't able to, uh, accurately read my, uh, projections correctly. I went two and three, which gives us a, uh, record of 47 and 23, which by the way, still fantastic. Um, but I, I got some good stuff for you in the locks portion of the segment this week. Uh, first, going to get into a couple matchup previews. Nick versus Scott. Nick's, Nick minus 69, total 458 points. This is the seventh time a team has been projected to score under 200 points. In those matchups, the favorite is 5-1 and one against the spread, with the only loss coming as Jerwin losses a 38-point favorite against uh, previous owner Andrew Baum's team in Week 5. Another one, speaking of Jerwin's team, we're looking at his matchup. Jerwin... Jerwin is an underdog to Justin. Justin minus six, total 535 points. This is the highest total of any game this week. Justin continues to pretty much alternate good weeks versus bad weeks. Uh, I said this uh, a couple weeks ago on the the segment. He had a down week last um, time by his standard, so I'm expecting him to bounce back here, get a, uh, a a nice cover against Jerwin, although those positive vibes continue to uh, continue to roll for Jerwin. I'm uh, going to get into the locks here. Like I said, we took a step back, but um, I have never loved the board more than I do this week. I know I say this every week, but I 100% absolutely guarantee that I'll be going 5-0 this week. Uh, first, going to look at the favorite, Courtney. Courtney minus 8. Courtney is 1-0 and in her last one as a favorite since being upset by me a couple weeks ago. Underdog, speaking of myself, I'm picking myself. I don't, I feel like I don't do that very often, but uh, Jordan plus 43. I am uh, four and oh since week 10 against the spread as an underdog. The uh, the get every pit two star pitcher, regardless of how good they are, seems to be working wonders against the spread. Um, over, I have Nate and Eddie over 529 points. Nate and Eddie have been pretty decent the last few weeks. Nate continues to score way above the median. Um, and has beaten the median every week since week nine. Uh, Eddie has been hovering right around the median, though, finishing in the middle 50% of the league, which is positions four through nine, for every matchup since week nine, showing he can consistently put up an average number of points. With Nate's ability to score high and Eddie's ability to keep pace with the median, this is an easy over, in my opinion. Uh, Next, we're going to look at uh, my under, which is Brendan and Mike. Under 496 points. Uh, Brennan's projected point total this week is 213. He has gone under this projected point total every week for the last five weeks, not including um, 
the previous matchup, which was extended by a couple days due to the All-Star break. Um, Mike's total projection is 283, so he's really going to have to uh, blow by that in order to uh, drag this thing to the over. So I'm taking the under there. Next up, we have the median under 258 points. Uh, a lot of quality starters went twice last week. I think we're going to see a little bit of a decrease in quality stars and quality pitching performances, which me- leads me to believe that this is an easy under here. Um, I know I say that every week, although it lost last week, but I firmly believe that the uh, median is going to go under. Like I said, I guarantee it this week. I feel so good about these picks. Um, I'm coming back strong. I'm not going to have a losing record two weeks in a row. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to dominate like I've continued to dominate, but I will see you guys next week. Back to, uh, back to you guys. That was Jordy, the general's weekly sports book. Thank you, Jordan. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, we do not have any news and notes this week. I'm sure you guys are just crawling along to this portion of the podcast. If you're still listening, thank you very much. We had a lot of fun recording this. I know towards the middle when we were doing our main portion of the podcast, the hot stove, we ourselves are getting hot. We're sitting in here in this no AC garage. I'm sure Mike was wanting to move it along. So I do appreciate you sticking here with us. If you're still listening at this point, it was a long episode. We had a lot of fun recording it. You guys have anything to share before we hop off of the episode? Nope. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I guess I'll just leave it at that. Mike? No, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's a fun time. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of this week. See what happens. Yuli Gurriel is available. All right. Silent (laughs) plug. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. I think Jake will be back for next week's episode. So you will have the normal hosting crew for the first time in probably a month now. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.